and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Thursday, February 8th, 2018. Welcome, everyone, to our program. We are audio only tonight, obviously. Um, however, oops, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are we doing here? I just, um, are, are we, are we live on it all podcasts? We're not connected on BTR. Okay, here we go. We have a glitch on, uh, we, we got a glitch on one of our platforms. We apologize. I, I apologize for that. Hey, you know what? Even, uh, Fox has, uh, has glitches every once in a while. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your continued belief and belief and trust in us. A lot of news to cover. Obviously, we, we're seeing a market correction in the in the economic front. Yeah, it's um, more volatile. It's yeah, been what's such going a on? Volatile there? week since D- last Friday. Don't panic. Don't panic, though. Oh, I'm not. You know, no I, one should panic. I did not sell any stocks. You, you during, didn't sell any stocks. I did not sell or buy any stocks. I kept trying to call Soros. This correction. I haven't sold or bought any stocks at any time in my life. But what's going on with the stock market? Do you market? have stocks? No, I don't, I don't have any stocks. Well, I, well, I don't have money <laughs> Some people stocks. should be put in stocks. Okay, this is from All Bloomberg. Right. Stocks enter correction as rate hike fears return. The dread that gripped equity markets earlier this week reemerged Thursday as U.S. stocks plunged into a Here correction on the concern that rising interest rates will drag down economic growth. Selling accelerated in the final hour of trading as major indexes breached round milestone numbers they blew past just two weeks ago. We can go through all these, but... Hey, you know, the bottom line with this is expect this. Second time, a thousand-point drop in four days. All right. Now, I contrary to... Look, I'm not an economist. I'm an investigator. Okay? I can do, I can do a couple of things well. The rest, I can't. One thing, one thing I, I, I feel I'm pretty good at is investigating following the, the, uh, the following money. But, but with respect to what's going on today, I, I think part of this, maybe a small part, and it's, this has been explained to us on this program by people like Jack Posobiec and others, but I think a small part of this is blowback by the deep state. I really believe that. This is the intentional downing or, or grinding uh, down of the U.S. dollar. The ultimate goal here is is uh, really to take down the United States. We've seen this as a common theme through everything. You've got you, you've got the society where people, you know, Pelosi, for example, can stand in four inch stilettos for what seven plus hours, but she can't stand or get off her get off her bony butt to stand up for what is right in America. You got people kneeling for all the wrong reasons in America. What do you expect too? Um, I see some of this as, as a natural course of judgment as well. Uh, I, that's just me. But yeah. I, I think some of this is, Joe, I think really I believe some of this is blowback for uh, the Donald Trump administration exposing, you know, some people will call this, not me, but some people now will call this the yin and yang, you know, the, uh, right, and I'll right. get a hundred emails saying, oh, you're, but, but the, <laughs> look, uh, the good, good versus evil is what's going on here. 
in the larger sense. And I guess what we just have to to try to figure out is uh, this: is this activity due to the political events happening in our world, or is this uh, strictly to the the market, to the economic world? And if it is to, strictly to the economic world, that is um, not as concerning as if it were tied to the political side, where you would see. Uh, much higher losses, but there is still uncertainty out there. Jim Cramer, uh, yeah. uh, he has a show, Mad Money, <laughs> and he, uh, I, can I quote him? Can, oh yeah, you can okay, quote okay. Him. L- 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 let me just quote him. He's blaming, and I quote, mm-hmm. a group of complete morons. Yep, a That's, group of complete morons who okay. don't know what they're doing. Uh, you know, putting these huge amounts of money on uh, that the market's going to go up, uh, betting on the uh, volatility index. And uh, making other trades, trying to make up for losses and whatnot, just crazy moves from people who don't know what they're doing. Apparently, is the reason he is saying that we have seen uh, so much of this volatility. So I don't know how accurate that is. I do uh, like uh, I do like Kramer. He does seem to know what he's talking about when it comes to to the stock market. But either way, I think we're going to see this uh, until we get this budget deal finalized. And uh, I think it would be a, a perfect storm, or in my a small storm, if the government does shut down tonight and you still have this volatility in through the stock market tomorrow, could we still see a 500 to 2,000 point swing tomorrow? Hey, Very possible. It, you know, I, I think back to um, 2012, 2013. Maybe I was just ahead of my time here. But, but again, I, I believe that a lot of what we're seeing today take place is to... Um, to really kill, ultimately kill the dollar. Now, how did I get there from the stock market? Obviously, there's a, a rather lengthy process to this, but, um, and, but, but, but I think the ultimate, ultimate deal here, or the ultimate goal is to kill the U.S. dollar as the, uh, as the world reserve currency and inflation and such, you know, um, but, but that's my, my take on this one. Jim Cramer pointed a couple of, uh, couple of things, and I'll quote him again uh, about the morons. What he was referencing specifically was, uh, let me just make sure I got it right here. What bothers me, oh, come on, okay. What bothers me is the people who have never looked at a stock and don't know how to analyze it. They're full, out in full force today. They've never been better about not knowing anything about these stocks. They've got it all figured out. And he, um, he is, as we said, he blamed a, a, a group of complete morons trading uh, leveraged volatility products for blowing up everything. Now he didn't call them out by name, but he but he said he he could have been referring to that guy on Reddit who lost what four million dollars playing the yeah. What, what is that? The vol- betting on the volatility index. Okay, all right. So. But the bottom line here is expect everything to be kind of upside down and backwards and bouncing up and down. This is going to be a roller coaster of a year, not just in the stock market, but in, in, in yeah. the uh, social side of things. All right. We had the, uh, today was the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, this 8th day of February 2018, and uh, the president hosted that breakfast this morning and gave his remarks. There are videos of the, uh, his speech there on YouTube, you can find them, and you can also go to whitehouse.gov to get the press release, the transcript. And obviously, um, you know, the people have a problem with God, they have a problem with prayer, and especially that Trump is in office, 
you know, you saw the, on the news this morning them taking, you know, cheap shots and, um, you know, misquoting some, some ideas in scripture in order to, with, as far as immigrants are concerned. And Nancy Pelosi did that yesterday too while she was, uh, on her seven hour rant. She talked about how her grandchild, uh, they celebrated a birthday recently, a five year old grandchild. And after he blew out the candles, they asked him what he wished for. And he wished that he was a uh, Mexican, like his friend Juan yeah, or something I, I like that. that. And she was so happy about that. And, and that just ridiculous. Well, what a bunch of crap, this white guilt. All right. But they also thought, used the scripture, uh, to say that, uh, Nancy Pelosi basically saying, Oh, if you don't welcome the illegal immigrants with open arms, you're turning away Jesus. Which, uh, was taken, took another scripture completely out of context. And it's interesting when we see how the, uh, the, these liberals use Christianity, uh, you know, they hate on it, um, most 70, 80% of the time. But then they try to use it in their own convoluted way of, of understanding it to back up their arguments to, or to, uh, sometimes to, uh, I don't know, uh, try to reach the Christians out there by using, uh, the, the same stuff that they talk about and read about uh, by co-opting that. But when Nancy Pelosi does it, it doesn't make sense because she is not uh, putting it in the right context. And I can't find the article where it is here, but she was corrected by um, a U.S. Catholic Bishops Association on a number of things, specifically her abortion record and how it is uh, completely opposite to the Catholic Church's stance on abortion. And Pelosi wants them to to change the Catholic faith to include abortion. Anyway, it's all convoluted, but how can you quote the Bible when you are one of the biggest advocates for baby murder in this country? It doesn't ring true to anybody who sees through your true colors, Nancy Pelosi. So just stop. (laughs) Please just stop (laughs) for the benefit of the nation. Now, with the address uh, at the prayer breakfast this morning, the numbers of Trump's latest approval ratings had come out, and that is at 48%. They said it is as high as Obama's was during his first year, whatever that's worth. And the other numbers that come out are the jobless claims have dropped to a 45-year low. Now, that's all the, the latest updated news and economic news, but what else is going on in the country? Where's Jeff Sessions? We have know. more well, text well, messages check, from, hey, from Strauch that have been, um, and, and Page that have been looked through. Some of it implicates Hillary Clinton, as the Gateway Pundit has pointed out today, that a, a recent, uh, the recent release of the text messages show this little nugget from the Gateway Pundit, and I'm trying to find my Gateway Pundit link, uh, so I can pull up this article and, and quote it properly. But what is it implying here is that Hillary Clinton was being briefed by the agents conducting her email investigation and basically coordinating with them how they were going to work this out. Yep. And yep. Yep. I don't know why this, uh, I'm well, well, the look, look, today. we're seeing, we're seeing people flee right now. You've got Michael Corton, Corton, I don't know, K-O-R-T-A-N, quitting the FBI, long-time mm-hmm. FBI official. And according to Fox News, Catherine Harridge reporting, FBI Assistant Director Michael Corton. Now, he's listed in the text messages as Mike, the text messages between uh, Batman, uh, I like to call uh, 
Batman and Batman, uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, Lois Lane there. Uh, I know it's a mixed uh, combination. Forgive me for that. But uh, but uh, this guy was head of the public affairs office. He announced he's retiring. He's gone. But watch these exits. These are meaningful. And uh, earlier we saw another uh, FBI official leave. Uh, I talked about him this morning. Uh, my goodness, uh, yeah, it's coming to me. It's coming to me. Lo- um, what was his name? Help me, Joe. Help I don't me, know. help me, help me. I, I don't know. Okay. But I, I do have this article up here from the okay, Gateway Pundit. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, bombshell. She knew text messages, lovebirds, Strauch and Page implicate Hillary Clinton. And, uh, this from the Gateway Pundit <laughs> talks about the Fox News story about how Obama was being kept in the loop about this investigation which CNN said it basically was debunked. There was nothing there as far as uh, anything illegal, even though Obama was being uh, kept up to date on it. It wasn't a conflict as far as when he said he knew about it. There's nothing before that time. So there was nothing really to nail him. That was what CNN said. But what happened here? Newly released text messages between Strauch and Page include an exchange about preparing about them, by the way. I, we, we do have them. As a matter of fact, they're, they're printed out in these, in my office. You can look at them anytime you want. Go ahead. Yeah, preparing talking points for Comey to give to Obama to know everything we're doing. Also, uh, there is evidence that Hillary Clinton was involved in the scandal as well. In the release of text messages from Senator Ron Johnson's office on page 433 of the 502 page document on November 4th, 2016, in the aftermath of Comey's press conference about Wiener's laptop, somebody named her called the FBI to give them hell. Strauch declined to talk to Jim Comey. And this is what uh, Page writes to Strauch. No, Pete, it's your job. And plus, she actually knows what you're doing this time, and that the American presidential election, and thus the state of the world, actually hangs in the balance. Okay, balance. Now, now go ahead and frame that up, because this is so critical, because here we've got Batman and, then, and Lois Lane. Right. Page and Strauch's response to that, though, is right. on Inauguration Day, in addition to our kegger, we should also have a screening of the Wiener documentary. So this is talking about Hillary Clinton, but Page is texting to Peter Strauch, the right. top FBI agent on the Hillary Clinton email investigation, saying, no, Pete, it is your job, uh, basically, to get her off. And plus, she or Hillary actually knows me, me, meaning what you're Hillary doing off. this time. Right. Everybody's on the same page. Because the American presidential election and the state of the world hangs in the balance. And, and they're going to throw a kegger that night too, right? The on when she wins on inauguration, right? right. So, so it's in the bag. So, so you, really, you've got to really look at, at what's taking place here behind the scenes. And, and I think anyone who denies the fact that you've got this shadow government, this permanent state, anyone who denies this now, you, you know, I, I've got, I've got, uh, I can't, I can't even say it, but you know, in, when I look at. Uh, uh, legal documents that 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 deny, virtually deny, that, that accuse us of, of being purveyors of false news. That really angers me, especially when you look at this. How can anyone look at this with any intellectual honesty and say, wait a minute, the, the fix wasn't in. The fix was in since day one. It didn't work. 
And once it didn't work, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to do? They're trying to oust President Trump. Right. They they couldn't win the election right. by stealing it. And instead, what they did was, and in their own words, used what they called an insurance policy in order to uh, have something over Trump to get him unseated or to show that his election was illegitimate. Look, I'm and, telling you that the insurance policy is something more than that. That's okay. my belief. I, well, either way, they coordinated the, the Robert Mueller Russia investigation as they, uh, in the text even show, Mueller was talking uh, or was understanding what was going on as early as the beginning of June and was part of the plan, according to the text messages. You know, it says something like, Mueller's on board, he's the perfect man for the job, blah, 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 blah. And we know that there is no way, as you said, around, there's no way to explain this away. We, it's obviously, at this point, you can prove that they used a political opposition document funded by Hillary Clinton and Fusion GPS and the FBI, presented it as intelligence information to a FISA court illegally, obtaining warrants against the, the presidential candidate and his uh, associates, and then continuing to, to get extension on those warrants after he was then uh, President-elect Trump, and who knows, okay. even when he was inaugurated. And understand this, the the warrant renewals, and this is, people really need to, and think about this, people really need to understand this. Every time you go back for a renewal of a FISA warrant, whether it's Title One or 702, and especially Title One, but 702 as well, you need additional documentation. In other words, you can't extend it because you, did, you didn't get anything. You have to present information that is new and supplemental to the initial FISA warrant. So follow me when I say this because it's so important. You're not lying one time. You're lying how many warrants? How many, how many extensions? And how many times are you doing this? It's more than one time. Yeah. And that's so important. And, and when I was on with, with Alex Jones, I don't know if it was Friday or Monday, talking about the difference between Title I and Section 702. And, uh, somebody wrote, I believe it was in the conservative tree, I was saying that a Title I warrant against Carter Page means that he was patient zero. So anyone that ever came in contact with him or even sent an email about him was fair game. Imagine interviewing this Carter Page uh, as a journalist. So that journalist would be uh, thrown into the soup bucket of those under surveillance. We know that we all are under surveillance based on the 2005 uh, restructuring of the NSA. Uh, and, and we know from Dennis Montgomery. Also, Dennis Montgomery, that the clip, that the audio uh, interview um, that included uh, um, Mike Zullo and Dennis Montgomery, which mm-hmm. is out there somewhere. I, I've downloaded it, but I think it's on SoundCloud. You need to listen to that. Uh, it's well, a big deal, but go ahead. An, another article here that I just posted up on Hagman Report, Feds scrambled to redact information showing top-secret spy abuse. Federal authorities scrambled to redact and keep classified key information revealing major abuses of the U.S. surveillance apparatus that targeted President Donald Trump and his associates in the lead-up to the 2016 election. According to multiple sources familiar with the situation, who said the least information corroborates findings recently made by House Intelligence Committee officials, that would be the FISA memo, on the heels of the release of a classified memo by Republicans disclosing the FBI heavily relied on 
a widely discredited anti-Trump dossier to carry out unwanted surveillance, or I'm sorry, unwarranted surveillance on right. Trump aides. Yep. And their, uh, Senate investigations this week made public their own findings that appear to corroborate the events. The new criminal referral issued by Grassley and Graham, both senators, calls for formal investigations into Christopher Steele, the British spy who compiled the dossier, the DNC, and Hillary Clinton. But it's even worse than that. Let me just stop you, because Representative Paul uh, Gosar from Arizona, or Gosar, Gosar, look, he connected the dots, and I think this is important. Uh, he said that... Um, that uh, uh, that he believes that there is an interconnectivity between various high-profile Obama-era crimes or scandals, as he put it, and those latest revelations you're talking about, about corruptions at the DOJ and the FBI. So you have to think bigger. And that's that's the only thing I want to say about this. When when you're talking about those those Text, when you're talking about the communications, when you're talking about the, uh, the, the FISA warrants, regardless of what it is, think bigger because they're all connected and it's all about the corruption at the DOJ and the FBI. And what it says here is what we've already known. The feds had stonewalled the House Intel Committee in their attempts to get information for months, said one senior congressional official. Then when Grassley and Graham tried to make the information public, the feds redacted near, nearly the whole memo. The newly disclosed information in the Grassley-Graham memo, which was first issued with heavy redactions at the FBI's behest, appears to corroborate most of what was publicized in the Nunez memo. Grassley and Graham released their memo after petitioning the FBI to scale back heavy redactions. It made the original version cleared for public release. And if you compare that version of the Grassley memo to the new version with less redactions, it's clear the redactions had nothing to do with national security and everything to do with trying to keep embarrassing information from getting out. Now, this is not the only issue that we see uh, with them trying to hide information. Judicial Watch's Tom Fitton, again, uh, continues to sue the federal government to turn over information uh, information from uh, the cost of the Mueller investigation. There should as I've said, yeah, this before, he, he wants the budget. That should be public. It's We're by law. It. It's required to be made public. And he has filed FOIA requests and now suing the government and is getting stonewalled there. But he's also being stonewalled in other areas too. Uh, and, and you can uh, bookmark Judicial Watch. Go to his YouTube channel. I'm going to tell you, I, he does I watch it all the time, all the time yep. on yep. the cases, the 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 suits, and and all that. And it's a lot of valuable information. So. Obviously, this story is not going to go anywhere. People are going to continue to dig down to the truth in this, but you know we can't let it dominate any and everything that we talk about at the same time. But 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 you know what? Stop right there, okay? Because I think what we what we are talking about, what this is, is really the root of the tree of corruption. By talking about this, exposes everything else and everyone else. It's not just the FISA warrant. It's just not the memos. It, it is, and I asked on my show this morning, why all of a sudden, why are we now seeing these memos come out today or, or in this time period? And my answer to that is because you've got a new sheriff, the Donald Trump in town, and it takes a long time to get, to get rid of the, uh, people managing the choke points of information. Uh, 
Congress, both chambers of, of Congress, both sides of Congress, are coming out with, with their memos, the, the House and the Senate, with, with their disclosures. Why now? It's because Donald Trump has effectively, through the course of a period of time, replaced individuals who are withholding the information back. And they ha- he hasn't gotten them all. They have not gotten them all out of there because we're seeing where Fitton is saying, as you just pointed out, that... Uh, that he still has to sue um, because he's not getting any response from FOIA. So the journalists out there, or the self-proclaimed idiotic people who, who say that they're journalists, um, and say, well, you know, FOIA this and FOIA that, well, how's that working out for you? How, let me ask you, how's that working out for you? All right? Putzes. Yep, I, I couldn't find a better word myself. So, again... What are we going to be seeing with the stock market tomorrow? Definitely something I'm going to be watching very closely, as, and also the government budget deal. Are we going to see a budget passed? We don't know. There is a, a filibuster going on right now with Rand Paul blocking the Senate budget vote, and if it does not get voted on by midnight, it will lead to another government shutdown. Now, another how far will this? Uh, how far will they take this? Uh, Paul is preventing a two-year budget deal from passing as the White House advised federal agencies to prepare for the government to start shutting down at midnight. Congressional negotiators were scrambling earlier Tuesday, I'm sorry, Thursday, to lock in enough votes in the House. And that was before Paul, a Republican, made a public dissatisfaction with the deal, which would raise government spending, avert a government shutdown, and lift the debt ceiling. Paul is pushing for an amendment to maintain budget caps, but Senate sources and leaders say they have no plans to give Paul such concessions, meaning that he can continue to prevent a vote until after midnight, right. when government funding runs out. And, and okay, so, so the bottom line, what would that prove? What would that do? It would. What, what it would have the government shut down, and they'd have to try to vote on it again Monday or Saturday. I don't know. I'm not sure uh, the, the process is. I, 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 I guess. Yeah. I guess my question is, to what end? It, it, obviously, he it, wants it, to decide from the obvious, uh, and we don't have enough time to get into this right now. But uh, I know what he wants to do is. He wants to take each individual uh, issue in the budget, where there's like 12 issues. You have the defense spending, appropriations for this and that, and go through each one individually on the, the Senate floor with debates and having input where you can cut costs and whatnot and pass them one at a time instead of throwing them all into one big bill, trying to rush and get them through and, and do this you know, real quick and leaving a lot of money uh, on a lot of waste on their on these bills where it doesn't need to be. He's he's right. The way that they do the uh, do this, these spending bills now are are terrible for this country and it's no way to govern. But is this the time to do it? You know, four hours before shutdown. We'll see. We'll be right back with Craig Sawyer after this. to Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com. Folks, look, we're still not live on YouTube. Just to make it clear to everyone, I've, I've been getting emails. Just to make it clear, hopefully this will be clear. Go to HagmanReport.com to watch the 
live streaming. Now, tonight we're audio only. I know that confuses people, but all right. But uh, normally, you go to HagmanReport.com to watch the show. And what we do, because we are disallowed for at, the, at this moment from putting from live streaming on YouTube, and, and we may not just we may not return to live streaming on YouTube. Global Star Radio Network, of course, has given us uh, allowed us the uh, the usage of the satellite there, and, and of course, that's how we stream the program, both audio and video. Global Star Radio Network, but it's accessible via HagmanReport.com. Eric worked, you know, I mean, one night throughout the night, he worked his fingers to the bone to get this. And, and Todd at Global Star Radio did, did all this as well. So it's fantastic. So just go to HagmanReport.com. Now, if you want the archives, of course, you can go to Blog Talk Radio for the audio archives or YouTube for the video archives. Simple. Just the fact that YouTube has disallowed us from broadcasting live, which we may not return to, just just because, you know what, uh, I, I, nobody's going to shut me up. I don't care if it's real or, well, they're still trying to shut me up. No one's going to shut me up. And I'll tell you something, okay, that, that just, that just, I just have more resolve when that happens. Alright, so just go to HagmanReport.com and look on, uh, you can watch the feed there, the live feed. And again, tonight it's just audio only. And it may be tomorrow night as well, but Steve Quayle and, uh, Tom Horn are going to be with us in the, uh, uh the second hours yep. and third hours. A very now. interesting program. Now is Craig Sawyer. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, we have with us Craig the Salman Sawyer. Vets4ChildRescue.org is the website. Craig, it's, it's great to have you back on. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Oh, pleasure's ours. Um, you know, you've been really busy, uh, working. And that you've uh, accomplished a, a number of things, Craig. I don't know where you want to, if you want to start there tonight, or if you had somewhere else you wanted to go. But uh, take it away. Yeah, man. Well, I am thankful. You know, I, I started this organization very humbly. I'm just a busted-up veteran with nothing but my word and uh, and a vision for how to protect the children against the these powerful and wealthy uh, elitists that, that that have this penchant for for abusing the little ones, and so. I, I started a nonprofit organization and, uh, a lot of prayers and a lot of rallying with my, my contacts. And man, we've, we've put together a, a pretty handsome effort now. And, uh, we're liaison, conducting liaison with different, uh, law enforcement organizations, um, chiefs of police, uh, sheriffs, uh, district attorneys. And, uh, we're finding we're finding ones that don't want to play ball and ones that do want to play ball. And, uh, the ones that do, boy, we're, we're, con- yeah, yeah, that, 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 we can get into a little bit of that as we go. It's, it's, it's part of the story and people need to know. Um, but, uh, well, the ones that do want to play ball, man, we're, we're connecting with them and we're setting up operations and we're running sting operations right now where we can arrest the perpetrators, the, the, the predators that are after the kids. And we can rescue the children that are in their control. Um, and we're doing that state by state now. So it's blowing up and uh, we're, we're having some great success. And man, I am thankful for that opportunity. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, we need people like you out there. And, and it was about a year ago when, um, 
uh, Craig Sawyer really began vets for the number four child org, And of course, from that, um, it's not just talk, it's action. But by the way, Craig, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we, I've been accused and we, uh, here have been accused of peddling fake pedogate stories, that pedogate doesn't exist, that it's, it's really just fake news. Um, I think your the actions conspiracy theory about yes. a, a child sex ring in yeah. a pizza shop. Well, okay, is yeah, what they say. Yeah, of course. But tell us differently. Well, what we're finding, I mean, literally four thousand people responded last time when we went to Connecticut uh, to our our online advertisement um, for for children that were available. So there is no shortage of predators out there that are starved for sex with children. And if people think that it's not true, they're just naive. They're just sheltered from the facts. Now, how all of the networking functions and how all the, the big money moves, we're talking a 30-something billion dollar a year industry that's rivaling narcotics now. How all that works, we're going to have to get into piece by piece. But the fact that there are a lot of children being raped, and that that is a, a large problem, it is beyond refute. I mean, that you, you, all you have to do is go into any of these uh, these these applications, these apps on on the phone that are for that, and you'll be overwhelmed with predators uh, surfing around looking for for kids. Man, it's 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 insane, and and so much more for the boys. You know, our, our decoy that runs the, the, the operations can put up uh, advertisements for young girls, and they will court her to some degree, and they'll come in with their sick minds and their perversion for things that they want to do to her. But if she advertises a boy, it's like they lose their ever-loving minds, and they want to come straight in. They're like, what, what, what time can we come in? Like, we want to come in right now for this boy. And there was one that she was telling me about that was so adamant and so out of his mind, so out of control, he kept demanding to know the address so he could come there, and, and they were working out of the police station. They finally gave him the, the police station address, and he came and knocked on the door of the police station asking for the certain kids. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? These people just wow. lose control of themselves because the urge that they have is stronger than any any sense that they have about them uh, on why it's wrong and harmful. Uh, you know, all I can say is this is like the SEAL version of To Catch a Predator, uh, but it's by orders of magnitude much greater than that. I don't want to trivialize what you do at all by even comparing it to to that uh, you know reality or whatever that show was. Uh, you're this is absolutely remarkable what you're doing. And to tell us about the cooperation versus lack of cooperation, if it's appropriate at this point, or if you want to go somewhere else, what's what's up with that? I, I would think oh, everyone think would want to cooperate, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it is appropriate, Doug. I mean, hey, uh, you know, do the right thing, and you don't have to be ashamed of yourself and, and hide. So we'll get into that. But first, I want to address your your comment. No, uh, don't be apologetic. I, I think it is appropriate to, to compare uh, the sting operation back to what Hanson did, because what we're learning by running uh, those sting operations is that the predators are still 
paranoid about um, having Chris Hansen show up. And I think that's a very healthy and good thing. We want them paranoid and afraid that they'll get caught because I, I, they should not be doing that. So Craig, 10 years look, later... I, I yeah, met you, man. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather have Chris Hansen on the other side of the door than you, brother. Let me tell you, that, that's just me, but go on. I, again, I have... Sorry. Well, that's, I, you know, I think that's part of the interest for the American public to see what it's like when they do face down the Navy SEAL. And, uh, you know, we're, we're running that. That's, a, that's one part of what we do. We, we do many things. Uh, we run the, the, the sting operations. Uh, one of the parts uh, of the sting operation allows us to recover the children that are in their possession uh, when possible. So that's, that'll be something uh, that we, we've all, we've come close to a couple times, and we hope to explore that here very soon. Uh, other stuff that we're doing, man, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna train law enforcement and civilian uh, investigators to do what our what our lead uh, decoy does and our proven template of operations. So we're gonna train hundreds of people to do what what we do, and we're gonna vet them very carefully first. And we've also got a, a school curriculum that that alerts and and empowers school children to understand how the predators stalk them through all of their smart devices. So, man, if we can take that national, and we're working on um, interviews with key White House personnel, a descendant administration, to address exactly that, taking this curriculum national, man, if we can prevent millions of children from even being subject to this. This, this crime spree in the first place. What a huge win. So the ramifications, the, the positive impact of our operations are many-fold and it's spreading in many directions. The, the, the sting operations are just one part of it. We're filming that so that we can show the American public what they, what they don't want to believe, what they can't believe otherwise. We have to just walk them through it. Hey, folks, for better or worse, here's what people do, and here you go. Here's 13, 15 cameras hidden everywhere, and you can watch this thing from A to Z over and over again so that you begin to understand. And so that's what's just what we're doing, guys, is just uh, capturing that that those real moments so that the American public can begin to, to have their, their blinders torn off and see what's really happening out there. And then once they begin to understand, then we can empower the American people with a bunch of tools on how to combat it with us. So... Speaking of combating it, moving on to the next topic, topic which you, you mentioned with the chiefs of police, sheriffs, and district attorneys. Yes, some of them have told us, we understand that we have a huge problem in our city, but we don't want to highlight it because we don't want our citizens to know. Now, my gosh, I, when I when my guys first called me and said, hey, hey, Craig, Here's what we've got from this one DA. Here's what we got from this one chief of police. Here's what we got from this one sheriff over here. I'm like, are you kidding me? Man, if I, I would be so angry if, if, if they were representing me and my children and I, we were going to do without because it was inconvenient for them. They admit that it's a huge problem, but they don't want the citizens to know because it's inconvenient for their personal career. Come on. We got to do better than that as a country. So what I'm going to do, what my decision has been, is to celebrate and highlight those who do want to play ball, who do want to face the ugly problem and address it for the people that they defend and protect 
so that they clean it up in their own cities. And we're working with those people. And we are highlighting them. We're filming them. And we're going to celebrate them. And I'll tell you this, those people don't want to be celebrated. They don't want to be highlighted. They don't want to be called heroes. They want to step aside and just protect people. They're, they're the good people that are doing the good work. And I'm so proud of them. I can't even hardly get my words straight. I'm so happy and proud of them and thankful that there are still people out there that are fighting for our kids. So God bless them. And yeah, that's amen. my solution. Celebrate them and let everybody else go, wow, that is cool. And hey, why isn't my sheriff doing any more? Why isn't my chief of police doing any better? Why isn't my district attorney dealing with this and prosecuting and, and helping defend my kids? And so that they can start uh, swatting these deadbeats out of the way and replace them with more effective representatives. That's what we're going to have to do. Craig, I know we talked about this before, but there are a lot of reasons, uh, apparently, as to why these certain law enforcement agencies and officers don't want to work with you. And you you stated some of them, you know, they don't want the the trouble. Also, you know, uh, it's not always that they don't want to work with you because they're directly involved. But, you know, maybe there is some of that there. They have friends or, or they know certain people in society. Uh, you know, this this could impact them. But either way, uh, unless they're involved, I can't see why they, they should say no, especially since they're not the ones that are going to have to be putting out all the resources to get it done. They have help like your organization coming in and stepping in and, and taking a load of the work. So, But it is disappointing. But absolutely, celebrating those that do and, uh, you know, continuing to use that as the uh, uh, the springboard to, to move forward and to can you do, continue doing what you're doing, which I know is very uh, difficult work, but it is when you uh, get a win, it's uh, life-saving, and you, you can't do better than that. Yeah, man. Well, thanks. Well, that's been my determination. When, when seeing the good and bad, I'm like, let's celebrate the good and the lead from the front. Let's show people exemplars of those who do right, those who fear not and move forward and do the good thing. That's what we want to mm-hmm. replicate. That's what we want people to aspire to. And I think they, they deserve to be celebrated. Uh, and maybe it's not about them personally if they don't want that. But, hey, look, look at the professionalism and look at the effect they're having. Look at the courage they're displaying. Uh, you know, that we need to hold that up and have everybody else uh, trying to catch up to those guys. And and, and Exactly. And speaking of effect, and I know that Craig would never say this himself, but, you know, it's something when, when John, our producer, comes in and says, you know, I got a text from, uh, from Craig Sawyer, you know, 3.30 in the morning saying, hey, um, taking out perps right now in cuffs. It, it, this is where, um, folks, you know, you're, when, when, when you receive a, a, a request for solicitation to, to assist in this operation, your money goes for the resources to make this happen for these perp walks, for this justice to be brought to these these perpetrators, or, or I shouldn't say these intended uh, perpetrators who would exploit these children like like they are. And, and Craig, I got to tell you something, and, and forgive my language, but it pisses me off to no end. The people who want to bury their heads in the sand and and, and just not discuss this or, or just make believe that this is not happening or even worse calling it fake news because as you know i mean when, when you when you frog march out the uh uh the these twisted convoluted uh uh perverts um it, it ain't fake news so you're 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 i mean you're you're on the battlefront you're you're in the front lines here 
Hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why I'm thankful for these tangible milestones is because of uh, the doubters that, that can't face it. Uh, let, let's be honest. It's, it's weakness that causes people not to be able to face the ugly truth because it is uncomfortable. Look, guys, I'm a hardened combat veteran. This breaks my damn heart. I mean, it just really does. And so I get it. When people don't want to face this, uh, I'll share something with you guys. I don't, I don't think I've quite said this anywhere else. Um, when, when we're looking at these cases and, and, and the transcripts and the, and the communications going back and forth between the predators and, and the decoys, uh, the decoys try to read to me of the transcript and where the case is going. And we've got the DA right there. Sometimes we've got the chief of police right there making the determinations of what type of laws are being broken and what type of uh, prosecutions can be made. And I let them know, I don't want to know, but so much. I need to know several what we call quotable quotes of what the perpetrator is communicating of their intent to come and have a certain type of sex with a, with a certain aged child, uh, and what type of scumbag they are as, as far as their, their, their perversions and their willingness to do harm to a little one. And that's kind of all I care to know. I don't care to read all the other stuff. Even myself, I've seen, I've stood in mass graves and war zones and, and, and seen all kinds of, of human tragedy and, and horrific uh, and, and brutal uh, death scenes uh, over and over again. 55 countries, man, a lot of conflicts. I've been all over the place. And, and so I'm no softy, man. But when it comes to the kids and this kind of stuff, I don't care to immerse myself in it. But so far, I'm already, what I explained to our investigator is, look, I'm already doing everything that I can physically and emotionally and mentally do. I'm tapped. I don't need to know anymore. Don't show me a problem unless I'm going to be able to allow to go and attack it and try to fix it. I see a problem. I'm doing everything I can to fix it. I don't care to know more about what kind of mess is in this person's head. I get it. They're, that, they're, that says they're a lot. 30. They're going down. we got a house full of 25 cops and a canine unit standing by. We're going to get it done. I don't need to know their every deep, dark secret and, and thought. I just need to know what they're here to do. And so, you know, even I, and I said all that to say this, even I don't want to know all of it. So I get that. But we do have to, we've got to, we've got to raise the, the, the subject and show the facts so that the American public do finally get it and understand that, that this is a real problem so that we can put it to bed. Craig Story's making a difference. That's the number four child rescue. Follow him on Twitter at Craig Sawyer. I do. And, uh, uh, I'll tell you what, a, a better organization we could not support given the serious nature of the problem and the difference they are making, he is making, his organization is making, the people who support him are making. You're making a difference. We are, we collectively, by helping Vets for Child Rescue, Craig, sir, we are making that difference. You're part of an operation that is bringing justice to those who cannot speak for themselves sometimes. Craig, uh, I know this is tough, but I mean, how young, how young is your young, the youngest victim that you're looking at or that you've seen? Uh, well, we're, we're, there's every, there's no age limit. They'll, they'll, there are people that'll have sex with an infant as young as they can. uh, Uh, there's literally no, no limit. Now, with what we do, uh, there are certain restrictions that, that we've got, 
uh, we've got to work around certain things. And so we've got certain age brackets that we kind of deal with uh, due to those those uh, limits uh, of what we can pull off. But uh, there are perps out there that want everything. There is a lust and a demand for for every type of of child or little things. So yeah, uh, man. It's, Wow, that's it's hard to hear. I mean, I, I can imagine what you're dealing. This is difficult to hear. I mean, we know we know it's true. I mean, we know we've heard it, but it's difficult to hear from again a frontline guy. You know, it's uh, wow. And, and you don't you never know who the perks are going to be. You know, we've got <laughs> software now that we know we've got. We're going to be able to ascertain exactly who the person is, get their full identity, have a complete warrant for their arrest and everything uh, before they even set foot on the doorstep. Uh, but the first time, we didn't know um, a whole lot about who each perp was other than the profile that we built over the hours or days that we had them uh, chatting. And, you know, one of them turned out to be a federal agent this last time. Uh, one was an overstayed uh, student visa. He's an illegal, illegally in the in the country. And we're like, when is he a terrorist? What what, what affiliations does he have? We'll, we'll see once the investigations run their course. Uh, we don't know who all these people are. There is no demographic. What we're finding out, guys, is that there is no demographic that is immune to this type of of evil mindset. It just it seems to have have wrapped its tentacles around everything. There are religious leaders, teachers, coaches. You know, what we find is that a lot of people in positions of authority and access to kids um, tend to, to pop up on the radar. So, man, we just have to be really hypervigilant with our little ones and, and just protect them and make, make sure that they have a happy and innocent childhood so that they can grow up secure and well-grounded and 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 stable and have a you know have a good a fair start you know amen now we only have about three minutes left greg so how can in the in the next remaining three minutes how can we um in the hagman report supports you but how can we the collective audience out there best help you do what you do because this is so important work how can we best help you well, we've got to fund the operations, and I hate to even bring that part up of it because I resent that being part of any of it. But we can't fly, you know, crew and team members to different parts of the country or to even drive them there uh, without funding because they got to feed their families somehow. So we've got to we've got professionals involved in, in helping do this and do it right. So that's that's part of it. So they can go to vetsforchildrescue.org and pitch in that way. God bless everybody that's been doing that. Uh, but one of the ways that, that we're finding is, man, if they, especially those that are out there that are in law enforcement uh, or in the legal realm, man, talk to your local DA. See if they're inclined to fight this thing and play ball. Uh, and, and if your chief of police is, is like-minded, man, let us know, because that's a great contact. Uh, instead of us hunting them down one by one, if you let us know, uh, reach out to the to the um, email address on our website and let us know, hey, we got a chief of police and a DA here in this big city that, that, uh, that's willing to play ball and you guys can come and uh, drop the hammer on a lot of, a lot of uh, predators here. Uh, that, that's a great contribution. So if you can do that, man, let's do that. Otherwise, try to tell everybody you know that this is a problem uh, and just alert them to it 
to it so we can start the process of this national awakening and then so that uh, we can culturally all unite and turn against this uh, for the good in the future of our children. So going to the sheriff, going to your law enforcement and saying, hey, you know, we got a, a, a team that's willing to do X, Y, and Z. Our uh, sheriff, are you willing uh, you know, to allow, are you willing to work with these people uh, to get this stuff done? Finding those types of relationships and then referring them to you, you said is one of the best ways that you can help aside from monetarily. Is that correct, Craig? Yeah, man. Yeah, right. right now, that's one of the best ways that, ways that they can contribute. Well, there you go, listeners. You got your marching orders and, uh, anything you can do, obviously, uh, you know, be a part of this fight. Uh, everything that Craig said from, uh, getting involved with the local law enforcement to sharing the uh, information with your friends, your neighbors, your congregations, letting them know, uh, educating them that there is a problem and letting them know, you know, what they can do as well. Craig Salman Sawyer, Vets for Child Rescue dot org. Thank you so much for, for st- spending your time with us tonight. We had a, a, a great talk. Absolutely. Doug and Joe, thank you guys for having me back on. Uh, I always enjoyed being on with you guys. Pleasure. Hey, well, thanks for the update, my friend. And we're going to keep you in our prayers, and uh, we're going to keep promoting your cause. So thank you, and be careful out there. Thank you so much. All right. You know, uh, that was Craig Sawyer, and Joe and I met him in Chicago. We actually, uh, in fact, I'm going to put up uh, the picture again on social networking. You look in this man's eyes. This man's got determination. He he can kill you with a napkin, okay? Uh, But one of the most humble guys I know, but one of the most effective. And um, he's he's doing some great work. So the Christians out there who, you know, who really want to get things done. There you go. This is a great way. All right. When we come back, Tom Horn and Steve Quayle will be with us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this short network break. You know, there's something happening out there, obviously. There's something happening in the churches. There's something happening with society. There's something happening behind the veil. Uh, things are, there's a spiritual war taking place, manifesting in the physical. We can see it. We, we know it exists. It, it's out there. And if you go to Skywatch TV, alright, if you go to Skywatch TV, or, or if you go to stevequail.com, skywatchtv.com or stevequail.com take your pick both of course you can see the manifestation of evil uh, not at their websites but but both Steve Quail and Tom Horn being so adept at identifying what the, the spiritual struggle in which we are engaged both men ahead of their time both men of integrity both men who uh, are attempting to educate the public, the Christian public, the Christian conservatives, the, 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 the well, all of humanity about what we are facing. And, uh, the, we're facing a lot. 2018 is going to be just 
frankly, and perhaps even literally, one hell of a year. Now, having said that, I'm going to bring both Steve Quill and Tom Moore on. But, Steve, I'm going to kick it to you. Welcome, my friend, my brother, for uh, and thank you for joining us tonight. Well, good night, Doug, and good, I'm, I'm good night. I mean, good night as in it's a great night, not goodbye. <laughs> uh, and Joe, everyone listening, the Hagman audience, tonight's going to be an interesting night, and I say that in the fullest extent of may we live in interesting times. My statement going into this, before I turn over, Tom, is we are in the most interesting of times. We're in the time when words like artificial intelligence and ye shall be as gods mix in the same sentences as Zoltan Itzvan said, one of the most famous transhumanists, at the bottom line of all transhumanists, they simply don't want to die. And they want to live forever. Now, Zoltan Itzvan is one of the smartest guys in the world. Tonight, Tom and I are going to take on artificial intelligence, the artelect, artificial intellect. And before I turn it immediately over to Tom, I want people to understand something. That Isaac Asimov, three, oh, you know, I think, what, four decades ago, uh, basically had three laws of robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey orders given by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. And basically, that's outdated now because we've got war bots, we've got slaughter bots, we've got swarm bots, and the day that artificial intelligence is replaced by supernatural demonic intelligence of disembodied evil spirits that have sentience, they have self-awareness, they have a sense of history. They have a sense of uh, their future do- uh, doom, just as the demons that cried out of Jesus said, have you come to torment us before our time? They have an understanding of a time. And probably what is most interesting tonight as we get into this, and Tom, feel free to take your liberty and go as long as you need to go, and I'll do the same, but I won't uh, you know, try and uh, talk in any way. Well, I think we'll compliment each other. And for the record, everyone, we have not talked before this show except to say, hey, February 8th, Doug, Tom and I have some pretty powerful stuff to share. Now, it was in July of last year that a humanoid robot named Han, developed by Hansen Robotics, reacts as a controller commands via mobile phone to make a facial expression during the Global Source's Spring Electronics show. That's, that, you know, that can be predictable. But what wasn't predictable was Facebook's artificial intelligence robots shut down. They were shut down after they started talking to each other in their own language. In other words, they went beyond the uh, parameters of their design, uh, let's say this, input, even to the degree that the uh, people programming both robots, which basically uh, had two artificial intelligent uh, robots talking, and they didn't understand, but uh, Facebook banned the experiment after two of them, and their intelligent programs appeared to be chatting to each other in a strange language only they understood. The two chatbots came to create their own changes to English that made it easier for them to work, but which remained mysterious to the humans that supposedly look after them. And with that, I will turn it over to Tom. In other words, unintended consequences are taking place in the field of artificial intelligence, in the field of what I would call breakaway programming, 
and sentinet programming that's rewriting its own commands. And Tom, what a what a privilege to be on with you tonight. And wow, the most important subject I believe in the world that the world is facing that we're talking about humankind's extinction level technology and the inability of those to understand what's at stake. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, hey, great to be with you guys. You uh, you forgot one other thing to add to Asimov's list, and that's the rules for dating uh, between sex bots and humans, but <clears throat> maybe yeah. we won't deal with that one tonight. Uh, oh, no, 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 I, want, I want to deal with that one later. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, always a privilege to get to be on the air with you guys to discuss all the big things happening in our world and the ways that we hope that our uh, different ministries can respond effectively as a resource a guiding light um, to the masses. And, of course, uh, you know, you, you started this off, Steve, talking about robotics and also the, the uh, artificial AIs that began, they created their own language, began communicating with one another. Um, these breakout moments is going to come a point, I think, uh, following what, uh, you know, many call technological singularity in which robots are going to begin uh, communicating and making designs on humanity that won't be uh, stoppable. They won't be able just to just unplug it because, as Hugo de Garris, who's speaking at our conference in September, uh, and who is ultimately qualified to discuss this issue, uh, the point that he's made is at the moment that these things become an I am that I am, uh, they become conscious. They're going to be literally trillions of trillions of times smarter, more powerful uh, uh, than every Einstein who has ever uh, lived combined, and they will outwit any effort to try to stop their efforts. Of course, Hugo is not the utopian that Ray Kurzweil, guys like him say, oh, no, they're going to fix every problem we've ever had. We're all going to get to live uh, forever. Um, speaking of our September conference, uh, it sounds like if I heard Derek Gilbert's update a couple days ago correctly, it sounds like this is going to be another sellout uh, long before the event even gets here, which happened last year, months ahead of the time, uh, ahead of the gate, the thousands of tickets that were available sold out. Lots and lots of people were sorry they couldn't make it. And so I would just want to encourage people, and Steve's not paying me to say this, and I don't make any money off of it. So, uh, But I'm really encouraging people, if you want to be there, if you want to be part of it, you need to go to Steve Quayle's website. Uh, is it gen6.com? What is the what is the web page for the conference, Steve? I'm sorry, Tom. G E N S I X dot com forward slash conference, and we want to encourage everybody. It's a matter of hotel rooms because during that time there is another event taking place. So last year, as you know, Tom, we had a lot of people actually complaining and they were pretty discouraged. So we want to encourage everyone to, to go ahead and get their ticket quickly and uh, make their hotel reservations. We've worked out special deals with the hotels, so that's why, and that's why we had to start early in uh, selling tickets because that was the only weekend we had open in September that we could get to the mansion. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, again, go to Gen 6. 
dot com forward slash conferences or you just go to my uh, website stequail.com and click on the top right hand banner but Tom this year is going to be and I don't it's kind of a pun it's going to be probably one of the most unusual conferences we've got Hugo DeGaris one of the I would say this based on everything you know I know he's one of the top three minds in the world when it comes to artificial brain he's on record as he hopes it doesn't turn out bad but yet he's got this uh, gnawing in his uh inner man that it is going to turn out bad so unintended consequences and I, I really hope people hear tonight with their hearts because you and I have been doing what we've been doing uh, apart from each other and, and collectively together but now it's accelerating and like I said in my opening whatever paragraph I don't think people understand we hear about the successes we do not hear about the failures nor do we hear of the ramifications of even the church Christians embracing transhumanism. So if you go ahead and address those, and like I said earlier, take your time, finish your thoughts. And ladies and gentlemen, this year Tom will be the final speaker, and there will be no screw-ups on timing. In other words, there is no limit. And Tom said, well, he can go 12 hours, but he can't go 24 hours straight. <laughs> just, just, just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. I, I yeah. could only do that when you and I are doing it together, Steve. But, yeah, uh, well, look, it's the number one gathering of its kind in the United States of America. America. And uh, so, again, I want to emphasize to people, do get the tickets early because it is going to sell out. We already can see that happening. Uh, and uh, you don't want to be among those who are disappointed that you didn't get to, to be there. Uh, it's the, the most critical conference, really, in the nation, I believe, because we're going to be talking not just about transhumanism as a philosophical, mind-meandering experiment. We're going to be talking about the actual technology uh, and the ways in which human enhancement are, are leading even now and are going to exponentially uh, lead uh, in the very near future, um, including starting later this year, to changing what it means permanently um, to be homo sapien. And I want to get into some stuff. I want to talk about the, a conference that the Vatican recently hosted and, and where they came down on some of this. We'll get into that in a moment. But while we're on uh, Hugo, let me let me explain to people when when we went to produce the documentary film uh, Inhuman, which wound up winning two Telly Awards, and later tonight I'm going to tell you how you can get that from me free. But uh, Hugo was like the number one guy that I wanted to be part of that documentary film. We have other world famous transhumanists, pro transhumanists, that are in that documentary, and then we have uh, people that are. Uh, conservative bioethicists like Wesley Smith and even members of the U.S. Council on Bioethics. And then we had the, some of the world's top leading theologians to kind of, you know, talk about uh, the ethics, the bioethics of um, transhumanism. But Hugo was the top guy that we wanted, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am. Uh, Hugo de Garris is not only a world-famous transhumanist. Uh, if you watch Ray Kurzweil's film Transcendent Man, Hugo's all inside that film too, because he offers the dystopian uh, warnings that uh, technological singularity, you know, may not be the uh, you know, win-all, end-all that guys like um, Kurzweil believe that it's going to be. Now, what qualifies him to be able to speak to this issue? He was for the last 20-some years until recently, 
Uh, he was the leader of the Artificial Brain Development Laboratory at Xi'an University in China. And China, as most people are probably aware, is even ahead of the United States in the development of technology so far as our intelligence tells us in the fields of artificial intelligence and, and uh, you know, the hacking and warfare and, and all that. Well, Hugo, while he was working for the Chinese government, he wrote a book called The Art Elect War, Cosmos versus Terrans, uh, a bitter controversy concerning whether humanity should build godlike, massively intelligent machines. So his subtitles are almost as long as the one that <laughs> the ones that I create for my books, right? Uh, but he sees uh, this war that's coming unfolding due to exponential growth and development this century in genetics, robotics, artificial uh, technology, nanotechnology, synthetic biology, and so on. Um, and he's qualified to write about it because uh, if you read his book, The Artelec Wars, he, he, he lays out his credentials. He kind of brags on himself, if you will. Uh, and he qualifies his uh, authority to be able to speak to the issue of artificial brain development. But then in that book, it gets kind of scary. He, he's, he's almost like reading an Old Testament prophet that's running from his calling, uh, because he talks about how he gets these feelings of euphoria, and he's just so excited that we are so very, very close to the day in which conscious machines are going to come online. But then he'll go to bed with all of this excitement, and he says during the nighttime he has these horrific dreams in which he sees everybody that he loves, his family, everybody that he's ever known and cared about, literally drowning in a sea of blood. And he wakes up realizing that uh, what we are working toward is just as likely to lead to what he calls a gigadeth war, in which literally billions of people are going to die in a very short period of time as a result of these smart, intelligent machines coming online. So, folks, when you come to the conference this year, you are going to have one. This guy is like in the top five in the world in terms of his qualifications to be able to speak to this issue, but to also be able to explain why he has a very, very bad feeling uh, that this is all going to end uh, poorly for the world. And it literally, he, he doesn't speak about this in terms of religious language or theology, but it literally sounds like he is describing the anti-human armies under the Antichrist slaughtering uh, all of humanity at the end of time. It literally sounds like that's what he's describing. Well, I think, too, Tom, that it's imperative that people understand this is the ultimate goal. You have basically fallen men and fallen, meaning obviously those who have rejected the God of the Bible, salvation through Jesus Christ, and have bought the lie that they shall know the knowledge of good and evil on a gazillion times, or, uh, you know, however, you know, let's use the right word, a Googleplex uh, multiple of what there will be available in the world knowledge, and it's spiritual knowledge. So this, you know, it's interesting, because Solomon had all the wisdom in the world. The Bible says that no man could stand against him, or there's no, no one would ever have the wisdom uh, during his time or after, 
But the thing that's important to recognize is simply this, that Solomon's downfall was when he got into the spiritual realm. So years ago, when you and I first started talking, Tom, I coined the term technolon, technological Babylon. And I said, programming our extinction will be sold as almost an aphrodisiac for the mind. And beyond that, most people will see the purported benefits, but they will not see the sinister nature. And I would, it would not be a surprise to me if the God of heaven himself is giving those kinds of dreams to these people because the fact that he can even embrace that thought of a sea of blood killing off billions of people tells me that he still is open and he hasn't closed his mind totally because there are people, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, and Tom's written about it, that simply want the end of mankind and they want singularity. Obviously, Kurzweil is one of them. And what's fascinating about Kurzweil's book, Kurzweil spelled K-U-R-Z-W-E-I-L, he talks about spiritual, excuse me, spiritual machines. And so, Tom, you know, the, the fascinating thing is, uh, just like, well, let me just address the sex spot thing in the context that you put it. We're now seeing if, if, if people will just take it to two years down the line, maybe three years down the line, the alienation of the American female, pretty much it's the American females, not females all over the world, maybe in the uh, English world it is, and the, if you will, the vilification of the male. So now the sex bots, the sexual robots, are being designed to basically take the place. And Japan, by the way, has already embraced this to an extent that most people aren't aware. So the dating will be the parameters, and every day announcements are made of the advance and the sophistication. Now, I'm on record as saying that they will also be snuff bots. In essence, a programming in a sexual companion robot, either female or male, can be pre-programmed to basically genetically uh, sense the, if you will, the, the uh, genome in the person that's using their services, and should they not have the proper genetic code, basically waste them. Now, we heard last, what, last month that some of the new muscle tissue that they're going to put on these robots are 200 times stronger than human muscle tissue. So I got news for you. It kind of, uh, you know, that's this is probably one case where you don't want the big squeeze from the robot lover. <laughs> well, some of the same writers uh, who were saying that, that these robots, as they advance, uh, you know, persons could also hack in to your sex bot because a lot of these are going to be connected to the internet and they're using virtual reality scenes in which they're, uh, you know, two people in different parts of the world are pretending to have sex with one another using their sex bots. And somebody could hack into that and have these very powerful sex bots murder, literally kill the person that, uh, that you know, is engaged with them. So, yeah, it's, 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 uh, What's that HBO series right now, the remake of that old Western movie? Uh, Westworld. Westworld. Westworld, yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's the possibility of Westworld. Now, um, and I do want to talk uh, here in a moment about how uh, robots and humans 
will actually in, in a in a nearer future than most people can even imagine actually have biological offspring. I want to talk about how that's going to be possible, uh, and that's going to be part of my presentation uh, at the Branson Conference in September of this year, and I'm going to tie it to how I believe it could also play a role uh, in the uh, coming of Antichrist, things like that. We maybe will have time to talk a little bit about that tonight. But, you know, t- so talking about Hugo de Garris being qualified, uh, to address the subject matter, although I'm not exactly sure what he's going to be talking about at the conference, but I assume it would probably be related to his, uh, you know, to his uh, thesis. Uh, but according to the University of London, Steve Quayle and I are also qualified. And in fact, not only are we qualified, we're the leaders of what is called the Melu. Uh, we mentioned this you know, a couple of months ago or three months ago uh, on uh, a Hagman report. Didn't really go into it. I'm not really going to go into it tonight, but I want people to just be aware of it. Uh, and if they want to email me, I'll send them the academic paper that was published about us. Uh, and it was published in Zygon, the Journal of Religion and Science, which is a peer-reviewed uh, science and religion journal. Uh, and it featured a piece that was written by a professor by the name of S. Jonathan O'Donnell uh, from the Department of Religion and Philosophies at the University of London. And his article was titled, Secularizing Demons, Fundamentalist Navigations in Religion and Secularity. Uh, and by the way, if you request the, the uh, article, I'll send it to you. Uh, and uh, you'll just have to kind of put up with the fact that O'Donnell seems to be a guy that likes to hear himself use a lot of, you know, as an old preacher friend of mine years ago uh, used to call it 16-cylinder phraseology. Uh, but anyway, his aim in the paper was to explore, according to him, at a deeper level than his peers, what he called the anti-transhumanist apocalypticisms of our day, the central voices behind which he identifies as yours truly, Tom Horn and Steve Quayle, who he calls evangelical conspiracists and their melu. Uh, melu simply the old French word for a community or a gathering place. Uh, he determined that Steve and I are those uh, who, working with our compatriots at Gen 6 and Skywatch TV, are the leaders of the transhumanist resistance that members of the transhumanist community had better pay attention to. Um, and the peer-reviewed Zygon had agreed with him, at least to the point that they found reason to promulgate his thesis. And it should also be noted that um, the Zygon is a prestigious quarterly peer-reviewed academic journal of religion and science that is actually sponsored by the Center for Advanced Study in Religion and Science that is a, it's a large um, advisory group, if you will, that guides uh, the development of curriculum and programs, study programs, and academic literature that is used to influence religious and scientific leaders on the convictions by which people make their fundamental decisions. In other words, as their own website says, there, quote, thereby to revitalize and universalize the long-evolving wisdom and power inherent in the religious dimensions of culture to sponsor and conduct meetings, conferences, seminars, and lecture programs to communicate the results of the Center for Advanced Study in Religion 
religion and science activities through scholarly and popular journals, books, works on creative artists, mass media, so on and so on and so on. In other words, they exist to influence and guide through um, gradualism, uh, slow progression. Indoctrination is a term I would probably use. Um, the belief systems of religious people so that they uh, eventually will reject such conservatives as Tom Horn and Steve Quill if they can be adequately demonized uh, and uh, accept instead the transhumanist agenda that Steve and I would say are bringing back the days of Noah and the lies of the Nakash that men can be as gods uh, and that um, these modern Nephilim, despite what these academics might say, uh, are not going to be our friends, right? Uh, and 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 is an effort, I think, to undo humanity as it was in the days of Noah. By the way, in April we're going to be releasing the book uh, The Melu, Welcome to the Transhuman Resistance, uh, and uh, we'll be making that available at the conference this year too. And it's got other members of the Melu, other people that are named in the paper as being part of Steve and Tom's um, uh, community. So according to some fairly heavy academic literature, Steve Quayle and I are also qualified to the point that the transhumanist community is actually being advised that they had better pay attention to us because we are a force to be reckoned with. That's not me and Steve bragging that. That's the that's the University of London saying that. Well, that's basically, in my opinion, that's basically the highest compliment can be paid because, you know, the thing is, is that the evil that is going forth. Now, look at this. These guys can make statements like that and they can call us whatever they want, but they are still programming on the old paradigm, and the highest expenditures of money going into this, Tom, are going into make killing machines that are autonomous. So they ought to basically uh, change what, how do I say this tactfully? Well, I'm not going to be tactful. You know, <laughs> hallelujah. The Since when have you been tactful, Steve? Uh, well, Gary Haven wrote that to me on the site of Jim Baker's one time, and I looked at it, and it, it was a foreign concept to me. But, you know, the point being is that people have got to understand this. Now, Tom, you and I have become the enemies of the Christian transhumanists, too. And the Christian transhumanists are basically saying, because we're creating an image of God and his likeness, we can basically, where God might have overlooked something, what a dumb, and forgive me, these are my words, what a dumbass statement, okay, to make that claim about the king of glory, but that they can improve upon God's design flaws. Well, God has no design flaws. Sin is what is producing the flaws. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can imagine, 25 years ago, and Tom, how long have you and I been on the radio? Well, Together, I don't know, man. Years? It was all the way back in the shortwave radio age. Okay, so that's got to be mid-90s, okay? And that means we're not getting any younger, but here's the thing. Most of the stuff we were warning about, and to those who would say we're fear mongers or we're fear porn, I better tell you this, you better take a good look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and see what's interesting, isn't it? They can't even attack our arguments based on their own uh, presentation of the world, but they can 
and do attack the faith. How dare anybody believe in the primitive God? And what we're trying to say, people, is rise up. We're trying to say, wise up, stand up, fight against it. So being called the leader of the transhumanist resistance, well, uh, you know, what a, what a bunch of squirrels coming out of hibernation early and embracing all the nuts within their own, if you will, secularized, God-hating world. Well, and again, um, it's, it's, it's not just me and you uh, raising concerns about the issues. You do have um, agnostics, um, you know, people like Hugo de Guerra saying exactly the same thing. You have the intelligence agencies of the United States government right now. Uh, I'm almost wore out with running the headlines at Skywatch uh, TV uh, in which, you know, this department or that department or the Department of Defense, some intelligence agency for the U.S. government, um, you know, warning that Russia and China uh, are racing forward with their enhanced human operations, EHOs, uh, and that it terrifies the, um, you know, the brass at the Pentagon. Uh, and that, uh, you know, the United States, which I don't buy this part of it, but they're saying that, uh, you know, they, they're reluctant. They don't want to get into a new, uh, uh, you know, uh, Cold War, if you will, a race for the development of armament, but this time around actually based on enhanced human operation, EHOs, which involve modifying the body, the brain, genetics, uh, for not, well, super soldiers is part of it, but something that goes even beyond that, I think that's prophetic. There was a press conference not long ago where the Defense Department, uh, their future research and uh, development strategy department, the guy's name was Bob uh, Work, if people want to look that up, he's a Deputy Defense Secretary, warning that America was going to lose its military competitive advantage if it doesn't pursue technologies such as employing artificial intelligence, brain-machine uh, interfacing, cyborging humans, and the genetic alteration of humans, uh, altering human beings from the inside out to be more effective war fighters. Uh, and uh, uh, and so on, uh, but those those ex, uh, ethical concerns um, don't apply to authoritarian governments like Russia or China. They're not going to have any restraint, uh, lack or hesitation in developing EHOs, and that's the reason why the Pentagon was saying that it was terrifying to them. So we're definitely pushing forward with things that the public is aware of, exoskeletons. Uh, Terminator-like technology, uh, brain chemistry, uh, altering drugs, vaccines, uh, interfacing with uh, artificial intelligence systems. And I saw another article yesterday talking about uh, how will uh, strong artificial intelligence actually come online. And this is something I actually wrote about in one of my books before we even talk about it in the, in the uh, documentary Inhuman that this will happen through cyborgization. What do I mean by that? By joining artificial intelligence with a human brain, the AI will learn from the human brain how to develop consciousness. Uh, you might even have a system that is both part a human brain and an AI system that coordinate together to create an artificial intelligence that be begins to believe that it is an I am that I am. Uh, and uh, But all of this stuff is on the drawing board right now. Bio-enhanced humans, 
uh, with cognitive abilities that are in the design budgets that are on the drawing board. If you were to take this year's DARPA-approved military budget and look at it, there are dozens of lines in there where literally, and this is the part they admit to, hundreds of millions of dollars. You and I know that in special access project budgets, it's in the billions of dollars and has been for a long time uh, for actually rewriting the genetic makeup of uh, war fighters, of soldiers for the battlefield. Uh, some of this is happening right now. So, uh, it, so it's not just Tom Horn and Steve Quayle. Uh, it's the U.S. military. It's the top transhumanist uh, scientists in the world bioethicists, uh, everybody knows that this is happening, and that's what makes the conference uh, this year, it's what makes the book, the Milieu, it's what makes all of this so timely. The part to me that is a real challenge, Steve, is um, I will notice, like in our social media, <clears throat> I will notice that when we run an article uh, on um, like Christian transhumanism or uh, on advances in biotech that affect what it means to be a human, things like that. When we run those articles, the numbers of people that will share those articles or that care about it in the Christian communities is far lower than when we run some of the other articles that might be, I don't know, headline grabbers or more salacious or whatever. Um, that That's fine. I'm not picking on anybody. But it does concern me uh, that the church in general, the church as a community, I'm not talking about denominationalism, the church in general seems to be completely unaware of how quickly everything now is exponentially advancing all around us. And because they're either unaware by choice uh, or somehow they've been just, you know, dulled down to the point that they're not paying attention anymore, uh, this is allowing for the advancement of transhumanist ideologies, including, by the way, at the Vatican. Uh, and again, if we get time tonight, uh, I want to talk about uh, the uh, Vatican's uh, recent uh, Pontifical Council for Culture and their plenary, uh, in which they dealt with this very issue, the uh, modification of humans using technology and what does it mean for the future of the church. Um, and, um, uh, you know, people will be able to, after I talk about it, people can Google it and read this stuff for themselves. It's some pretty concerning stuff, pretty scary. Uh, and it does mean that maybe the more conservative Protestant or evangelical uh, communities are allowing um, the game to be defined without our involvement. So the timing of our conference is great, and I sure hope and pray that God will use it to wake some people up. And I believe that's for such a time as this, you know. The the interesting thing about the conference, I can tell people this, they will see things in perspective. Obviously, we're going to have the entire, we're going to have, you know, a 12-foot life-size giant built on the actual uh, dimensions of the conquistadors and their chroniclers and others. I mean, you know, I've only spent 44 years on this, Tom, and there are some big dudes in history. Obviously, we put up the skull. And how this relates to transhumanism is really simple. There is a supernatural force.
force guiding the technology of fallen humanity. It's kind of like they, people think fallen angels, I'm talking, defining those that left their first estate. In other words, they rebelled with Lucifer. One third of the angels fell. I don't think people realize those aren't ignorant entities. You can read the book of Enoch. You can read the book of Giants. There's so many, not only extra, quote, biblical texts, but history itself. And the technology that they have presented, a higher form of killing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, when you understand nanotechnology and you understand the spiritual ramifications, listen, Tom, you, you're, a, you're a former pastor, you're a, a tremendous researcher, this isn't flattery, and you're also a very articulate man. I, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I mean this, I wish I could communicate, and probably so does everybody listening to the show tonight, as, as clearly as Tom, but where I have been able to see is see where this stuff leads. And where it leads is when God's Word said, my people are destroyed for, law, for knowledge, not because they don't have the knowledge, but they reject it. What what scares me, Tom, if you said, Steve, what is the most disconcerning uh, uh, issue that you see facing that which uh, calls itself by the name of Jesus Christ Christian? Most of those people don't even believe Jesus is who he is or that God is who he is. But the point being is, is that it's their destruction. And it's kind of like the statement, they will accept the technology that at its root is going to produce the fruit of their destruction. Let me read one thing from Kurzweil's book, The Age of Spiritual Machines. He said, further he asserts in a sort of swirling postulate, time speeds up as the order increases and vice versa. He probably wouldn't admit to quoting Jesus there, but Jesus talked about the days being shortened for the elect's sake or there'd be no flesh left alive. Now he calls this the law of time and chaos. And it means that although entropy is slowing the stream of time down for the universe overall and thus vastly increasing the amount of time between major events, in eddy of technological evolution, the exact opposite is happening. And events will soon be coming faster and more furiously. Well, obviously we know this, and he goes on to say that, you know, he's worried because he says what Zoltan Eastman says is they'll soon not only be able to beat us at chess, but also likely demand civil rights and might at least realize the very human dream of immortality. Well, again, ye shall be as gods. And when you're talking about the whole excuse me, the whole idea that there is a group out there. Now, I, I, you and I talked about this years ago. What year did you write Blood on the Altar? Uh, it's been about three years, four years ago now. Okay, three or four years ago. And what I'm seeing already is, in essence, those of us who were forward-thinking, obviously, you know how many books you've got out under your name, Me Too. I mean, together, it's got to be close to, you know, what, two dozen, approaching 30 at least. And we've footnoted, we've documented it. In essence, we have had, by the grace of God, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The technology that these people are projecting, there's what I would call the kindergarten guys. They just look at, and who isn't in favor of prosthesis, uh, artificial eyes to those who are blind, anything that can um, help a human being, uh, you know, achieve uh, the life that God intended for him, uh, you know, I I'm all for. But what I'm not for is the hidden contempt that now is expressing itself, and, you know, it, 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 it's everybody wants to live forever. Now, you know, somebody asked me, is there a limit to intelligence? 
based on the word of God, I see no limit, no limit to the end of depravity of fallen angels and their technological decadence that until Jesus puts an end to it. But in the meantime, I believe that there's going to be a lot of blood on the altar because Jesus said there will come a time when they'll kill us believing they're doing God a favor. So when they, when they identify and state that God is ultimately a construct, that basically an advanced civilization created God who created us, he used the alien sperm, panspermia, you know, the whole thing that we've talked about, Tom, you've written about in your book, Books on the Vatican, even the you know the whole thing. We don't have to rehit that, but you know probably this is a good time if you feel is, and you know I never want to take you on one of my rabbit trails, but the point being is is that the Catholics, and I pray that every Catholic listening to this will understand this. They are going to abrogate everything that uh, the early church fathers and the doctrines of the Catholic faith, as far as who Jesus is, who God is, they're going to abrogate that in favor of the alien savior. So in the transhumanist Vatican intercourse, and boy, could I go on from that, but the point is I won't. The thing is, is that where are they now, based on the latest information you have on the embracing of transhumanism and the alien card, and if you want to, you know, share, maybe go into hour two on that, just how you see those two interrelated. Uh, yeah, well, I can, I'll start on it right now, we'll see what happens in hour two, I assume we're going to take a break at the top of the hour, which is in like 20 minutes or so. We will, now. yes, um, yes we will. And um, <clears throat> look, it, so, no, so this was in November, so it's just, you know, three months ago now. Um, 2017, the Vatican, their pontifical council, their their you know high intelligence for culture. They hosted a, what they call a plenary, an assembly on the future of humanity, new challenges to anthropology. So Google that, people. The future of humanity, new challenges to anthropology. Um, and note how they included all these top-level scientists and cardinals, as well as bishops uh, from around the world. This was a conference that. Uh, deliberated on changing attitudes toward using new and emerging fields of science, gene editing, robotics, artificial intelligence, neuroscience, uh, brain-machine interfacing, all these powerful new technologies to modify what it means to be a human. And oddly enough, uh, Steve, this they actually also, and I'll explain how in a moment, they actually also did connect this to the idea of aliens. Uh, so you're going to get a twofer. I'm going to explain both things that you just asked me about uh, at the outset of this council, where they stated, and I'm just reading this now from the website, the general aim of the plenary is to open up a dialogue about the future of humanity, end quote. And I read the entire uh, report. I read everything about it. I listened to some of the presentations, all these topics. They're discussing issues raised over uh, what, what interdisciplinary approach might help the church, the Catholic church, avoid what they called a technocratic paradigm, which makes the method and aims of science and technology the exclusive epistemological paradigm that shapes the lives of individuals and the workings of society. I'm still quoting, such a paradigm generates a reductionist, 
or unidimensional approach to life and needs to be complemented with the insights of other forms of wisdom, other forms of wisdom. This implies a cultural approach that could foster a distinctive way of looking at things, a way of thinking, policies, an educational program, a lifestyle and spirituality. Um, anyway, people can read the website for themselves, and I'll, I'll quote a couple other things here in a moment. You can Google and read all the discussions, uh, and you'll find that it was a very pro-transhumanist approach. And I'm not being critical here. I'm not, you know, uh, taking... Tom, Tom, if I, if I can interject one thing. I, I got a ton of emails about this from from what you had reported on. And, and I just want to say this is a real hot-button issue. Not that you didn't know that already, but I just want to tell you that I got a lot of feedback on this. But go ahead, sir. Well, I'm glad that people are, are uh, sending you questions and asking questions. That's what they need to do, and they sure, certainly ought to be asking questions about this, including Roman Catholics who are being represented by the intellect, you know, the intelligentsia of their um, organization, who are right now putting together the guidelines, the interdisciplinary guidelines that are going to be used for basically making both theology and policy that will be promulgated uh, by the most powerful Christian organization in the world, the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, the largest you know of its kind, uh, and they that church is unlike other denominations. You know, the Assemblies of God, the Baptists, the whatever, they don't have the uh, intergovernmental reach and policy influence that the Roman Catholic Church does to influence the ethics around these kind of issues. Um, now, you have to give the Roman Catholic Church credit for being at the forefront of the pro-life movement and things like that, where much of evangelical Christianity has been slothful. Uh, but it's very concerning, you know, the, 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 the other side of the shoe, if you will, uh, is very concerning to go and read the plenary uh, where you have the Pontifical Academy and all of the leaders of Roman Catholicism, the guys that write their doctrine, gathering together, and the stuff that they were saying there, which was universally agreed upon, uh, very, very, very spooky stuff when they're talking about how uh, transhumanism could be compatible with traditional Christian philosophy and theology. And they talk about how we need a universally accepted model for nature or creation, they say, because right now we don't have one that is agreed upon. This is all their own language, not by churchmen, not by philosophers, not by scientists. We don't have an accepted model for nature or creation. That's some really spooky, loaded language, ladies and gentlemen. And then they go on to talk about the vision of mankind redesigned through applied sciences is one that the church has got to address and learn how to be compatible with where technology is taking us. And so they even, by the way, they even raised questions, Steve, in there uh, about specie, uh, speciation. Speciation. What does it mean to be a species as opposed to another species? And can these lines be blurred? And would that be something that could be uh, acceptable among the so-called Christian uh, transhumanists? Whether modified humans would still be considered to be 
homo sapiens, and even if not, still, do they have a soul? Can they be redeemed? Listen, you know, a moment ago, Steve, you mentioned uh, you know, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees. The hybrid age that we're talking about right now is something that happened once before. Uh, you know, it, 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 when Jesus in Matthew 24 says, as it was in the days of Noah, he's talking about when there was once a hybrid age, there is going to, at the end times, be another hybrid age that will be similar, in which humanity, as it was designed by God, will be corrupted, and so will animals and, uh, uh, and life, all of which we're seeing happening all over the world right now. Transgenic food, genetically modified uh, organisms, human-animal chimeras, not just at the embryonic level, by the way, now being uh, promoted by the Chinese government and others to be raised to full maturity for the purposes of harvesting, harvesting uh, organs, xenotransplantation. So that's what this plenary was all about. Basically, what the what they were saying, and I applaud them for this, because they're asking a question that I sure wish the evangelical and Protestant community was asking. They're coming together in a council. They're asking the question, what are we going to do with the fact that we have entered into the hybrid age? And whether we like it or not, this is going to happen. And how should churchmen and theologians and the Vatican, how do we handle this? What What is our responsibility as bishops and priests and so on to people of the near future who are only part human in the sense that that has been traditionally or historically uh, uh, understood? What are the inequalities that could develop between uh, enhanced and unenhanced entities? Um, and so on. And, and by the way, the reason I brought up, Steve, what you said a moment ago about the Book of Enoch was because that was the very question that Enoch was presented with. The Watchers, we've created these entities. We're not sure if they have a soul. Can you go to God and ask God if he'll forgive us and redeem our offspring? And God tells Enoch, go back and tell them, no, what you have made is unrepairable. It is irredeemable. It is forever confined to the to the darkness of outer darkness. Uh, and and for doing it, you yourselves are also going to be constrained in everlasting chains of judgment awaiting the day that you're going to be cast into a lake burning with fire and brimstone. There is no redemption for what you have done. Uh, and so now you have uh, the most powerful uh, Christian organization in the world coming together, essentially asking the same question. Will they have a soul? Can they be redeemed? And they very much are leaning towards, yeah, we don't like it. Maybe, uh, on the other hand, maybe it's cool. Maybe we all get enhanced, and, and, and it's a way of improving humanity. Um, let's see, we got another five or ten minutes here. Let me, let me bring this uh, to this other part, where this, in their conference, is also tied to the idea of aliens. Uh, and this was uh, of interest to me, um, because as soon as I saw the plenary being, um, well, there were some opinion pieces, written by Catholics, by the way, discussing this, uh, the question that went through my mind was, what, what is the guiding worldview uh, that perhaps is steering the Vatican attendees on these heady matters, these heady questions. Um, I had a serious reservation because I uh, became aware that during the assembly, the council had
had unanimously approved the petition to be sent to Pope Francis, Petrus Romanus, um, requesting that the monotum, now, now if a person doesn't know what a monotum is in Roman Catholicism, this is an, a warning that is issued by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith against a cleric whose teachings they believe could inspire heresy, right? So a monotum, a warning that these teachings could lead to heresy, was originally uh, filed against Pierre Telhard de Chardin, who we've talked about before. And Steve, uh, Chris Putnam and I uh, were interviewed by Steve Quayle, I think it was on the Hagman Show, uh, here a few years ago while Chris was still alive, when we put out the book Exo Vaticana. And we wrote a whole chapter uh, on Pierre uh, Telhard de Chardin. Um, but anyway, the, it was unanimously approved during the plenary for the uh, um, modification of humanity um, that the uh, warning, the monotum, against Chardin be, rem- be rem- uh, removed. Um, it, unanimously, they made an appeal to the Pope, the Council, uh, and during, in fact, there's quite a bit about this online now. During the council, they discussed how uh, what they called the seminal thoughts of the Jesuit Father Pierre Telhard de Chardin, anthropologist and eminent spiritual thinker, um, had influenced their consideration throughout the meeting. So when I went looking for what is the deeper guiding worldview that is steering the Vatican attendees on this event that ultimately is also going to influence uh, you know, the, the theology and so forth that comes out of the Vatican and out of their uh, universities and that is uh, disseminated then through their bishops and so on down to the church people um, that they had used um, Chardin who um, well, when uh, uh, Benedict was Pope, uh, he had made explicit references to Benedict. And by the way, the members of this assembly pointed that out. They, they, when they sent their letter to Francis asking him if it, they would remove the monotum against Chardin, they said Pope Benedict uh, wrote things in praise of his teachings. Pope Francis himself has also made explicit references to his work. Uh, since he became the Pope. Um, you could Google this, too. There was a, an associate editor of the Jesuit Review. Uh, he's an American Vatican correspondent by the name of Gerald O'Connell. He wrote about this event, and I got his quote right in front of me. He says, quote, They concluded by expressing, they concluded the, the conference, by expressing their conviction that this act, that is, um, removing the monotem against Chardin, uh, will not only will acknowledge the genuine effort of the pious Jesuit to reconcile the scientific vision of the universe with, listen to this, Steve, Christian eschatology, um, but will represent a formidable stimulus for all philosophers and theologians and scientists of goodwill to cooperate towards a Christian anthropological model that fits naturally in the wonderful warp and weft of the cosmos. Now, what in the world do they mean by all that? I guess we'll have to talk about it when we come back after the break. But if you understand the teachings of Chardin, uh, who believe that in essence we're all growing 
building up through an evolutionary model that eventually will reach the omega point, where we too are going to be part of a singularity. We're then going to join our alien brotherhood, uh, you know, in the uh, and all become part of a wonderful communion with God. Tom, Steve, we are right at the break. We just got about thirty seconds before we before we hit the break. Uh, just a fascinating first hour as uh, it covered so, so, so much ground and so many questions uh, from the capabilities of art- artificial intelligence and their what role that uh, those systems will play in our future as we see them incrementally uh, getting more and more control over certain areas and implementing this type of technology. It is a very interesting time that we live in. Steve Quayle, Tom Horn, they were right. 20 years ago, they were ahead of their time. Yes, they were, and now the technology and all the systems and capabilities are here for this to be implemented full bore, which those weren't there 20 years ago, and we're only developing more and more each day as time goes by. Well, we're up against the break. When we come back, Tom Horn and Steve Quayle for our third and final hour. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. Third and final hour on this Thursday, February 8, 2018. Our guests through this hour are Steve Quayle and Tom Horn. We've been talking about artificial intelligence, the church, and so much more, as well as the True Legends Conference. Steve, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, one of the reasons why the True Legends Conference this year, September 14th through the 16th in Branson, Missouri, is so important is because, again, all of us who have been kind of leading the way, by the way, there's going to be a whole group of young people there from the Fall Brothers uh, who work for Tom. Uh, Obviously, Tom understands uh, the necessity of reproducing his ministry. I do, and so we're really inviting everybody. My definition of young is anybody under 40, okay? And what's important is we pass on what we've learned, and so we're excited to invite everybody. And i got to share something. Again, because of the events taking place at Branson, the week leading up to us and the week after us, hotel rooms are, are, you know, there's a limit to how many are in the whole town. So the lady that has arranged this for us at the uh, mansion, Christy, has basically, you know, done a wonderful job for us. But we will sell out, my guess is, in the next 60 days at this rate. So um, please, ladies and gentlemen, understand we're uh, we're so uh, focused on this that I promise you this, and Tommy, is this not a fair statement? They will hear things they've never heard before, and they will say, uh, see things they've never heard before, and this time it will be show and tell. And by that I mean there there has never been, and, and I, you know, who knows what would happen to your following if God grants us grace, but the point being, this is the key. And, and as someone who's been ahead of the curve, no matter who says what about me, they weren't around talking about transhumanism and sex bots 25 years ago, okay? They couldn't even imagine it. 
then in my book Xenogenesis, and this is a pitch for that book, I would say this, if people are interested in it, they really need to get a copy of it, because I talk about quoting scientists that even the realm of sex bots are talking about, you know, some of the most crazy stuff you could even imagine, but more than that, it is talking about everything that we're talking and bringing forth to the people, the, and, and, you know, today's technology, tomorrow's monsters, I think people need to put something into perspective. Tom Horn just brought up the days of Noah. And what's critical is, is that most people do not understand the principle of God's love for the righteous and wrath for the wicked. So when God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the people of Sodom uh, for their wickedness, Abraham pleaded for mercy upon them, and he stated the principle, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18.25. But the bottom line is the Christians have got to... Uh, and not by the lie of the guys in Oxford that quite candidly, uh, you know, they are the destroyers. Those are my words. In my opinion, those who buy on to the Oxfordian attack on Tom and I and others, they are the destroyers because they're saying, just go quietly into the night. This is going to be good for you. The three things people must recognize who are Christians. Number one, God is perfect. God is sovereign and God has chosen to be merciful sinners through his son Jesus Christ. Nothing that is a hybrid and after another kind is subject to redemption because God makes it very clear we are the seed of Adam. These guys might, might want to be Adam too, but they're not creating the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, excuse me, 5, 6, and 8 says that Jesus died for the ungodly and it's interesting to me, Tom, that, you know, that the new birth that Christians should be rejoicing in, they, they, are, they are trading, they are whoring, they are giving away, they are intellectually committing spiritual whoredom to claim that God didn't do a good enough job, and that they themselves, deep down, may be saying the same thing that Zoltan Eastman, I think, honestly uh, detailed, that transhumanists seek to live forever, and they seek to live uh, forever on their terms. So, you know, uh, please uh, uh, go on to where the, um, excuse me, the top of the hour interrupted you, because this is critical. And, and what you're saying about the entire Catholic position on aliens and everything, they are totally abrogating the Word of God. There is nothing in their doctrine, nothing in their current dogma of, of talking about baptizing aliens and then merging, dealing with transhumanism. The easiest way to deal with it is on the Word of God, but they will not do that. So go ahead, Tom. Well, I'll try to be quick, too, because I also still do want to eventually get back over to um, the idea of, um, you know, I, I use the term sex bop tongue-in-cheek, but I really want to talk about the possibility of giving life to a synthetic form that's the offspring of literal DNA as created by uh, a robotic mind and integrated with humans. So we'll see if I can do all this quick enough to get back there. Um, before the break, I was talking about the plenary um, the, by the Vatican's Pontifical uh, Council, uh, on the future of humanity with regard to transformative and enhancement technologies that are going to soon change our understanding of homo sapiens, which is coming at us like a Mack truck right now. Um, and what had concerned me was the revelation that Pierre Chardin 
had been universally acknowledged as the guiding light, uh, the the most approved world view guiding the people that were in attendance that day. Now, why why does that concern me? Because, um, well, for a couple of things, most Protestant and evangelical leaders are really uninformed on the goals of transhumanism. Uh, and maybe that's by intention. Maybe they've just been successfully rocked to sleep and they're unaware. I don't know. But either way, they're leaving it to groups like the Vatican to define uh, Christian eschatology. Did you notice that's 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 actually on the plenary website where they're talking about you know eschatology, the study of end times, advance, future of humanity, uh, and they're combining it with Chardin's teachings. Uh, and their idea that Chardin provides the guiding light for the kind of eschatology that should be embraced, the study of end times, the ultimate destiny of humanity combined with human-modifying technology, and the transhuman worldview of Chardin to define the future of humanity. Well, anyway, to me it was eyebrow-raising. I'll try to just say what I want to say about this quickly because I'm probably going to wind up putting an entire chapter in the new uh, book, The Milieu. I love saying that, by the way. You know, an oki trying to speak French. <laughs> it's got a ring. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I would say <laughs> the milieu, intellectual madness. I, I'd attenuate <laughs> that because I think most people think it's a cow with a Missouri accent. Milieu, <laughs> yeah, yeah. milieu. You know, yep, it's what cows right. do in the field. I just had to throw that in, Tom. Yeah, I agree. Well, anyway, uh, but yeah, it was eyebrow raising for me. Anybody can do the same thing I did. Go and read everything that was published in all the papers and watch the, uh, you know, the, some of the if they're still online and watch some of the presentations that were made there, and the fact that to a man, uh, they asked Pope Francis to remove the warning against Chardin uh, and to view it as, you know, the guiding light for, um, you know, determining what should the position of the Church be with regard to the transformation of humanity from Homo sapien to something else. Um, now, a lot of people may not know, Chardin actually uh, wrote years ago, his own, it was called Divine Melu, the Divine Melu, you know, uh, and uh, it was translated into English in 1960, if people want to read it on Google Books or something like that, Chardin's Divine Melu, uh, widely considered to be one of the first to positively articulate a transhumanist worldview in which mankind is going to take control of its evolution. And during a technological singularity, uh, everybody gives Chardin credit for saying this long before uh, Kurzweil did in his Age of Spiritual Machines. He said we would reach a technological singularity in which we would transcend our status as humans and become part of a higher cosmic intelligence. Um, Pierre, by the way, was a Jesuit, like the people that attended the uh, uh, plenary. Uh, he was a mystical philosopher, uh, and uh, he, he wrote renowned works, uh, renowned today, um, for his devotion to Darwinism. Uh, and in fact, his devotion to Darwinism was what partly originally created the um, article against him, where some of the priests were concerned it could lead to 
you know, um, dangers of theology. Uh, but he was the one that conceived of the idea that evolution was progressing to a goal, the maximum level of complexity and consciousness, which he called the omega point. And again, people can Google omega point, read all about it, you'll get the idea, the concept of the new sphere, all these terms uh, that basically said uh, we are moving towards a moment in time uh, in which um, mankind it will reach the omega point. Uh, we will become one with a technological singularity. Uh, we will develop Christ consciousness, which sounds like an occult phrase, another reason that he was at first charged against. Uh, and um, we will become one with the universe. But he also talked about alien life on other worlds uh, and how our consciousness will merge with their consciousness. Uh, if people want to read the whole chapter about it, it's in the Exo Vaticana. Uh, I can send people information, even just copy the chapter out of the book and send it to them. Um, because I want to get on to another point here. Uh, but I do plan to write a whole chapter on this in the book, The Melu. Uh, suffice to say tonight that evangelicals had better wake up and smell the transhuman hybrid coffee while they can, because right now they're leaving the terms to be defined by other organizations that certainly don't have what I would consider to be a conservative bioethical approach uh, to this subject matter. Now, the other thing that, uh, before we run out of time tonight, if I can, I really want to talk about, and this is going to be part of the presentation excuse me, that I'm going to make <clears throat> uh, in Branson this year. And it's the question of whether artificial intelligence is going to give birth to the living image of the beast or even something more exotic and or both maybe, um, the soulless armies of the Antichrist. Um, now, where am I coming from? Um at the end of the year, last year, there was a world-renowned AI expert by the name of Dr. David Levy. He gave a Christmas lecture to all robot lovers of the world at the Third International Congress on Love and Sex with Robots, and he announced that human-robot offspring is going to be possible in the very near future, very near by meaning... Um, essentially this year, next year, very near. Uh, and it means uh, what it sounds like, too, by the way, that one parent is going to be human, even if they're an enhanced one, that, uh, that, but still partly some part human. The other parent is going to be wholly machine. And believe it or not, there is technology under development at this very moment that's going to take this idea from sci-fi to reality. I'm going to give, like I say, I hope to give a full presentation on this with illustrations, examples, the whole thing. Not the examples of robots and, and people having love. Um, I'll but, deal with that. <laughs> uh, now, how would it I'll work? And why do away, I think it's it. prophetic? Yep. So, <clears throat> you know, until now, in order, to, or at least until the 1970s, in order for a baby human traditionally to be born, you had to have a female egg, had to be fertilized by a male sperm. Then in the 70s, um, we moved beyond sexual intercourse and into the revolution of in vitro fertilization in which 
a baby could be conceived uh, in vitro means in glass. It could be conceived in a test tube in a laboratory, but it still required a human female's egg and a human male's sperm. Now, within the last few years, scientists have discovered that both the sperm and the egg can be created in a laboratory from skin cells. So you no longer need a man or a woman. It's going to all be created from skin cells. Mature adult cells can be uh, reprogrammed to become immature, what they call pluripotent cells, uh, that can turn into any other type of tissue or cell. But now, in the last 18 months, we've moved past that. Additional research has led to the discovery that eggs don't have to be fertilized at all. Eggs can be tricked into developing into an embryo without fertilization. It's actually called parthogen- uh, uh, see, parthenogenotes, which, as you know, Steve, comes from parthenogenesis, the idea of virgin birth. Uh, right. and, and, and that technology would now allow for two females or two males, for example, who could literally just go in and offer skin samples. Don't have to be eggs, don't have to be sperm. Just go in and offer skin samples, and a child can be born entirely from the laboratory, producing a literal biological offspring of two female parents or two male parents and so on. Now, you know, the the ethics... um, Religious questions regarding the artificial embryos created in such a way right now are what is against the technology. And I would assume during the Trump presidency that maybe that those restrictions will still be guided by, like, his faith counselor or whatever. Maybe not. Um, but that's what right now is, is keeping the technology from being fully embraced, but the technology exists. Uh, and it really is only a matter of time and red tape now before it's allowed, likely starting late this year, early next year. Uh, but the point is, all that's needed now to make human babies is DNA. Now, again, when I say DNA, people think, okay, well, that has to originate from a man or a woman, even if it's their skin cells, it's what, it's what God made. Not true anymore. All that's required to make human robot babies in the near, very near future is the integration of human DNA and robot DNA. Now, what am I talking about? Again, David Levy, he's the expert in this field. He was recently interviewed in which he admitted, and I'm quoting now, you can look this up on Google and read it for yourself, quote, uh, these robot chromosomes will be a set of computerized DNA code for creating artificial creatures that can have their own personality based on established biological inheritance laws, end quote. He goes on to describe the genetic codes being broke down into two categories, which he calls personality and outward, Uh, and as the title suggests, personality, or what I would call genotype coding, is what will provide the genetic information that guides the specific internal makeup of the entity, while the outward, or what I would call phenotype coding, uh, will determine the way the robot, child, human, looks, acts, and this would include even minute details like hair color, eye color, personality, and so on. Now, for people listening to this tonight that think Tom Horn just fell off <laughs> the, the, the deep end, 
remember, actually the first major milestone allowing for robots or computer minds, if you prefer, to write uh, hitherto unknown genetic coding and to give birth to first ever synthetic life forms was actually achieved in 2016 in the landmark experiments of Craig Venter, the pioneering uh, U.S. geneticist behind the dawn of a new era in which life is made literally by allowing computers to write genetic code. And remember, at the time, Julian Savalusu, uh, in fact, Steve, you and I talked about this at the time, and probably again on the Hagman Report, because they're the ones that are at the front of all this stuff. Um, uh, he, he's uh, this professor of practical ethics at Ox- Oxford University. He was the one that said Venter is creaking open the most profound door in humanity's history, potentially peeking into its destiny. He said he is not merely copying life artificially or modifying it radically by genetic engineering, he is going to the role of a god, creating artificial life that could never have existed normally. That's an exact quote. In other words, exactly what happened in the days of Noah and that Jesus connected to the arrival of Antichrist, except the current scientists now foresee uh, a near future we're going to be dealing with all of this at the conference, uh, in which the ancient attempt to corrupt, corrupt all flesh is going to look like kindergartners at play by comparison. We are literally now forecasting a brave new world in which, did you see the, the headlines there a couple weeks ago, uh, Steve, of automated robot chemists running synthesizer farms where modified life forms will be churned out 24 hours a day. Did you see that? Yes, I did. And the spooky thing about that is, again, this isn't a sci-fi. This isn't a novel that somebody was pitching. This is technology that exists right now today. We're not even waiting for hurdles to be passed. The technology is in place. It really now is just a matter of when will the major governments of the world uh, allow for such automation. And what the Pentagon and the Department of Defense and so on here in the United States is saying is Russia isn't waiting, China isn't waiting, they're already doing this, and the spokesman for the Pentagon said it scares the bleep out of us. But they know it's happening right now. So the big question, and this is what I'm hopefully going to be dealing with, both in the new book, The Melu, and also at the Branson Conference this year, is will transhuman science use this technology now to give birth to something even more wicked, and that is the Antichrist or his image? And is it actually um, is it coming together right now? Is it being designed right now? Because a lot has developed since uh, Venter's breakthrough. Science is, has marched relentlessly forward from these novel organisms that he created in 2016 that were undesigned by God. Now we've moved to science that will allow for the arrival of... what. And by the way, what are we talking about here? The reason I refer to this as perhaps the armies of Antichrist is regardless of what the Vatican's plenary said... Uh, in terms of these artificial life forms having a soul or not having a soul and the church's responsibility to reach out to them as such and so on. What are we talking about, these modern children of the gods? Because I know what the Book of Enoch says, they, they weren't redeemable. These are something guided by 
if they have, they either have no soul or a synthetic spirit, or how about uh, demons, or possessed you know, by something else that is ancient, right. the first fruits of Revelation thirteen, uh, something created not in God's image but in the image of the Antichrist, the image of Lucifer, the image of Satan. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yes, unequivocally, yes. Because, again, if a third of the angels rebelled and their offspring, no one, and, you know, I can't tell people how many giants there were, the Rephaim, but I can say this, that when those entities die, the giants, their evil spirit, which is half human, half fallen angel, became the evil spirits on the earth, both the book of giants and the book of Enoch. And don't go telling me, ladies and gentlemen, well, that's not in the Bible. Both Peter and Jude, and there's there's a fight on that, because if you acknowledge that spiritual conflict was based, number one, on rebellion, number two, on probably, you know, one of the most powerful beings in the universe created by God to lead the worship of God, and then all technology is the devil's attempt to provide omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence, all of that. So, you know, here's something I think people need to understand, Tom. If you want to, and I wrote this in my book, okay, Xenogenesis. And I would say to people, if you don't know what we're talking about, the book I wrote on Xenogenesis, here's why it's critical. First of all, I, I, I laid this out. The Noah, the person of Noah, we're talking about the days of Noah, he bridged three important times in history. Number one, he connects a time before and after the very final judgment on all of humanity for their sins, and only a select few escaped the destruction. Number two, also he lived at a time when the genetic purity of the human race was under attack. He lived at the time where the mighty men of renown, the mighty men of old, who were very powerful, lived. Human beings live very long lives, sometimes hundreds of years in life. How about Methuselah, 969 years old? The culture of that day had become corrupt and evil. And listen to this, Noah lived in a time when everyone probably spoke the same language. Well, we know they did up until Babylon, and the point is, is that now universal translator. So the same knowledge is going to be an imparted, uh, given to all of the enhanced and updated brains. Now listen to this, here's the critical thing, and then, ladies and gentlemen, please, if you can't handle this, pray about this, I'm serious. Noah's time had a different atmosphere in which amazing sights like the rainbow had not yet appeared. Tom, in the years that I was associated with some very bright guys who, who are only referred to in, in, you know, whispers in the uh, black ops above most military knowledge, above compartmentalized intelligence, majestic in the magi, they told me that the bottom line is the entire geoengineering and atmospheric manipulation is to bring it back to the days of Noah. And I don't know if you, Tom, could say the most important single point you've ever presented to the public in the last 10, 15 years of anything you wrote. I would say in my world it was when you, you brought to my attention, God quickened it to me, the gates of hell opening. But what was the most significant point, and Doug, you took part in this because you wrote one of the first chapters from my book, Xenogenesis, and I quoted you and I gave you attribution, a box of chocolates, but uh, this is interesting. Chapter 13, 
was the deathbed confession of a former Illuminus, high-ranking intelligence figure, going into the very statements on the geoengineering and geoatmospheric destruction in order to allow those entities that were destroyed in the flood to reanimate in bodies. And, and what is now, we're seeing everything is, quote, carboniferous life forms, nanotubes, carbon nanotubes. We're seeing, if you will, a body or bodies, robotic slash manipulated genotypes that the evil spirits are going to uh, come in and, and possess, inhabit, and empower. So again, the thing, I, I think this is my sticking point with a lot of people. We're not talking about artificial intelligence. As you just take A and B, add C, throw in a little D, make sure you put in plenty of E, F, and G. <laughs> oh, can I go there? And the deal is, is that you, you basically, it's beyond just the composition of elements. The very thing that God created in humanity when he breathed into Adam and Adam's descendants, the breath of life, that breath coupled with the body, and now that breath, that hybrid spirit, everything that God did, he said he saw everything God created was good after its kind. So ladies and gentlemen, please, I'm telling you, the most important thing I know of writing, and obviously, you know, again, Tom, I was on record a long time ago. You know how many people thought I was crazy, still do. But even the people identifying us as the transhumanist resistance, they have got to, and they do realize that we are appealing to the spirit of men, not just the intellect of men. Mm -hmm. And when we go on, and I, I categorically reject when they say, oh, evangelicals, I tell them, you think I'm an evangelical? I get kicked out in 99% of evangelical gatherings. Or they won't even deal with what uh, the Oxford crew and all the people. I was once told by somebody, you'd be surprised who listens to you and Tom Horn, same general, when you guys go on the radio. And he said, I can tell you right now, because I'm, I have access to military computers, he said, there are 45,000 federal computers in every intelligence agency. This isn't flattery, okay? And I'm only saying this, and when you get it from the horse's mouth, and, you know, all I can say is, good, but they have a fascination with when you and I talk about transhumanism, talk about giants, talk about the future, because even with their predictability, they say, we like to think we know everything, but we don't know everything. So when we hear things that obviously I believe God has put a time seal on to release, they pay attention. Just as an aside, it would be interesting to see how many uh, computers are on this tonight. So I make yeah, no well, and, and Steve, look, you and I know this because a few years ago we actually had a computer analyst who did a drill down after our show to find out exactly what was connected to the program, who was listening in, and we found that every single department of the U.S. government, including all of the departments of defense, they were all listening in on that program that night. Their computers leave a trail, and this analyst was able to trace back that trail. So we know that's true. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I still want to try to cover some ground tonight, and I know we've only got about a half hour left. In order to understand 
why Steve and I are passionate about this and why we are now reaching, talk about the Omega Point, forget Chardine, you're reaching Tom Horn, Steve Quayle, Omega Point uh, this year. This stuff is really coming to fruition. We are, re- we are reaching some very critical phases. You absolutely have to get Steve's book, Xenogenesis. You, I would also say you've got to get Steve's book, Genetic Armageddon. You've got to get Steve's book, The Gen 6 Giants, because all of this stuff was way ahead of everybody else. And there's one other thing I would tell you to do. Steve, a moment ago, you said, you know, people say, well, that's not even in the Bible. We, we should do a whole program someday on that one very subject. Really? It's not in the Bible. First of all, it's, it's all through the Bible, and it's quoted by the disciples of the New Testament and the book of Genesis and the prophets of the Old Testament and so on. But in addition to that, we should do a whole show on how the books of the Bible were actually chosen. It's amazing. I don't know what people think. I don't know if people think that God, 6,000 years ago, came down and gave the King James Bible, which, by the way, is the Bible I prefer to read. It's the one I preach from, as you know. Uh, but it wasn't the King James Version of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, God spoke in Hebrew, Arabic, later on in Koine Greek. These were the languages that God spoke. And if you talk to anybody about inerrancy of Scripture, they're not talking about... There are 80 translations, or more than 80 translations of the Bible today. Uh, no scholar, none, zero, zippo, believe that any of those 80 translations are the inerrant Word of God, what they believe as the original letters that were originally delivered. That's the way the Apostle Paul talks about it in the book of Hebrews and in the book of Romans. The original letters as God, who in sundry times and diverse paths spoke unto the prophets, uh, those were the original letters. Now, uh, I think there are great translations that, you know, preserve the meaning so that we're not ill-equipped today, so that we can rightly divide the word of truth and so on. I believe that. Uh, but people need to understand, and, and again, we've got to do a whole show on this. How did the Bible, how did the canon of the Scripture come together? Because a lot of people would be amazed to know this didn't happen overnight. It happened over a long period of time, and a lot of different church councils deciding, you know, how was the book written? by a prophet of God? Was it confirmed by acts of God? They put together all these different rules. But guess what? The apocryphal books, the apocryphal books, the book of Enoch, uh, the book of Jubilees, these books, these were very important to the early church. They were read and quoted by the disciples. And uh, the arguments, by the way, by many early church fathers argued that the book of Enoch should be included among the canon of Scripture. But anyway, I don't want to get sidelined in all this. We've got to do a whole show on that someday to talk about how all of this happened. But it was in the 1500s when, during the Protestant Reformation, it was Martin Luther who actually began arguing that the church should stop using the Apocrypha, because until then, so think about this, until 500 plus years ago, all of the books of the Bible as you know it today, plus the Apocrypha, were all carried around as the literature that guided the church. That's why in Qumran, at the Dead Sea Scrolls, you find fragments of the Book of Enoch, and Jubilees, and like that, the, the, the Book of the Giants. That's why you find those fragments, because these were all considered to be very, very important. And the church was trying to determine, okay, how do we separate 
what are the historical books of the Bible. So they're important, like the Maccabees and whatever. How do we separate that from uh, the books that we would say were the inspired word of God? So they put together a process of trying to determine, you know, which book would... And by the way, the book of Tom, uh, 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 James almost didn't make it. Hebrews almost didn't make it. Several of the books that are in the canon almost didn't make it. Other books that almost did make it included uh, uh, Enoch, which is still part of the Roman Catholic uh, Bible. And, and this is another thing, by the way, following the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, uh, the Catholic Church, as a result of what was happening with Martin Luther, had the Council of Trent, and at the Council of Trent, they determined that the Apocrypha would still be considered, this is true to this day, lots of people don't know this, still be considered Holy Scripture. Uh, and so it was only the Protestants that separated these other books. So anyway, there's a lot there. We need to get into this someday and talk about it, because most of what we know uh, about the ancient watchers and what they did in creating their illegal, soulless, part-human monsters, the first hybrid age, comes to us from the apocryphal books like Enoch and Jubilees, which are reflected in Genesis, which are quoted by the apostles in the New Testament, were esteemed important to the early church, uh, and uh, so on. So, for that reason, I'm telling people, you've got to get Steve Quill's books, but one other thing. Uh, I have made, recently, an extraordinary investment in producing a brand new Bible. It's called the Defender Bible, and it has the expanded Apocrypha, 18 other ancient books in the back, in a separate section, like happened until 500 years ago, in other Bibles, uh, in the back of that Bible. For a very limited time, I'm giving that away free to Hagman listeners and to others that visit skywatchtv.com. Click, you'll see the great big ad there on the top of the website. This is a, this is not a cheap, this Bible is costing me a ton to even have printed. It's a limited edition, collector's edition, bound in expensive simulated leather, silver embossed, red letter edition, 2,000 pages long. Uh, in a couple of months from now, we're going to retail it from between 80 to $125 per Bible. Wow. I'm going to give it away tonight. Uh, if you're listening to Hagman, I put the ads up so this would be up ahead of Hagman. Uh, go to the website, skywatchtv.com, but I'm going to do something else. For Hagman listeners only, if you click on the ad over there, we're calling that the Handmaiden's Conspiracy because we're giving all of this stuff away with the new book, The Handmaiden's Conspiracy. If you buy The Handmaiden's Conspiracy, you're going to get that Bible and some other books free. But if you, on checkout, type into the comments box, I heard you on Hagman, and I'm also going to have them include the Inhuman documentary, a two-time Telly Award-winning film that explains where transhumanism is leading and interviews some of the top transhumanists in the world, including uh, Hugo de Garris, bioethicists, including members of the U.S. President's Council on Bioethics, top theologians from around the world. This is going to cost me a lot of money to do this. I want you to know I'm not making any money here. I'm losing money. But I want to do it because I believe so much that... Uh, what Steve and I are doing here tonight and what the Hagmans do, by the way, when they invite us on their program, and I know they take criticism for it, but they do it anyway because they believe in what we're doing here and what we're talking about. I want to do all of this. You've got to get Steve's books. 
go over there to uh, uh, skywatchtv.com, get this brand new, beautiful Bible uh, that's got 18 ancient books that were read and quoted by the apostles of Jesus Christ. So if you don't think, okay, they're not part of the Bible, it doesn't matter, we separated them in this Bible. You have the full King James Version of the Bible, red letter edition, but in the back of it with an actually an opening statement from me about why I included these, and it goes into a little bit of the history. And by the way, you don't attend a college or a seminary anywhere in the world that you don't have to study these books because they're important to the history of biblical chronology. But anyway, I know I kind of got off track, but you got me fired up, Steve. We've we got to do we got to do a show someday that explains to people uh, how we wound up with the Bible that we have. And i got no problem, by the way, none, accepting the books of the Bible, the, the uh, 27 books of the New Testament, the, books of the 39 books of the Old Testament. i got no problem accepting those as the inspired Word of God, but also understanding, as the early church did, as the apostles of Jesus did, uh, who also quoted from these books, the importance of maintaining these ancient texts that shed light on the inspired word of the canon. Well, I think that's critical, by the way. Thank you for doing that, for giving people that. And You know, here's the deal. When Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the books written of me, and John says all the books couldn't even contain, all the books in the world couldn't contain everything Jesus had done. What, what really, how do I say this, frosts my cake, and we should talk about the baker's dozen, just meaning that there's so much in history, and we tie it all together because Tom Horn and my foundation are the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. We're not preaching another gospel. I'm telling people that say, well, that stuff in the book of Enoch is another gospel. I said, that stuff is included in the gospel, and you don't even know what the gospel is. The good news, the redemption of mankind. Now, here's what I want to I want to share this, Tom, because it's really important. We've been talking about the days of Noah, and I've had ignorant people, ignorant mouthpieces of uh, the hell spawn say, well, that isn't. this stuff doesn't even pertain to salvation. It certainly does. And I, I want to read one real quick thing. I think it's important. In, in Again, chapter 13 in Xenogenesis, uh, this is the thing I think is the most important point of the days of Noah that I've ever learned in 20 years, only to be, let's say, equaled by your statement to me, however many years ago on the radio, about the gates of hell when the Lord finally opened my eyes to that, okay? But here's what he said. This is from Mr. Langley, the dying CIA agent, just two paragraphs. He asked a friend of mine, whose name is Will, and Will B., if you listen to this, God bless you. You don't know how this has contributed to literally tens of thousands of people coming to Jesus over this question of the days of Noah. And this is what he was told, my friend, Tom, Doug, and Joe, by the dying CIA guy. This is on page 219, starting in my book, Xenogenesis. They are trying to remove the Alpha and the Omega, he told me. He, he said that... Weather modification over Vietnam was a beginning. Some were secure in encrypted communication, some with weapons technology, and some were focused on experimental, rather dark and occult research. And he's talking about Operation Blazer. But here's what he said, and his, this is the two paragraphs. Think of a rainbow, all the colors flowing together like a river. Now envision a river, all of that power being channeled towards the sea. 
The river has a path and a direction, and it's held in check by the banks of the river. Imagine that the far bank is the alpha and the near bank is the omega. He's talking about the rainbow. If either bank is overcome, the result is chaos, a flood. So the alpha and the omega, the banks hold the power of the river in check. Now listen to this. Now imagine, he continued, that the colors of the rainbow are different frequencies of energy, all being held in check by the banks that are the alpha and omega frequencies. Life is orderly as long as these two frequencies are there and do what they do. We don't often see rainbows, but God created the rainbow as a visible sign to us that he is in control of all the forces of nature and the spirit on this planet. We appreciate it when we see a rainbow. It's somehow a spiritual comfort to us all. And then he said, what they are working on, this is the black ops, is a way to remove the alpha and the omega, the banks that hold all of this in check, in other words, the equilibrium of God's creation. This will allow the intermingling of forces that are all now kept separate from one another, forces that were not intended to be together and operating on the same dimensional plane of existence. It will be the unleashing of chaos onto the earth. And I'll tell you what, if that doesn't give people goosebumps, it is the most profound and provocative thing that I know of. Because who has seized the rainbow? Those who break down the very barriers of God's covenant of man and woman, Mary, producing normal offspring. So everything is changing. The atmosphere is changing. We are genetically corrupted. We have ignorant sperm in the West. By ignorant sperm, that's my attempt at saying our sperm counts are so low, a kindergartner can do advanced math, okay? That's a quailism. But the point being is we are in a time period that Jesus said there's never been a time like it. So when you and I come on, Tom, together, and thank you, Doug and Joe, for letting us have this time, and when we're bringing together some of the smartest young people in the, and, and I believe in the country, because I believe God's bringing them. The young people that work for Skywatch, the young people that work for Gen 6. Timothy Alberino gave one of the most beautiful presentations at Branson that I believe has ever been given. Everything that everybody's doing, and I will be announcing pretty soon, as soon as a couple things, my new book, and my new book is going to be, I would say this, it goes beyond the stars, but it also brings everything down to earth, because even Q Anonymous is talking about the dead scientists. Ladies and gentlemen, all I can tell you is this, that it, this isn't the name of my book, but genetic total hell has been unleashed, and the very fabric of civilization has been torn. All the boundaries are loosed, and in, if somebody says, oh, that's so scary, there's no fear. Perfect love casts all fear, but Jesus said what destroys us, we're destroyed because we reject the warnings of his prophets, of his teachers, preachers, and everything. So, Tom, you know this. You and I are, are setting the stage for the next generation of spiritual warriors, gifted filmmakers, gifted authors, and those who will take up the charge. But, brother, we need God to move in that whole, if you will, assembly of the saints and make people fighting mad for the very, uh, what would you say, the very uh, existence of, uh, of human beings. Because when Jesus said, when the Lord returns, we find faith in the earth. And the point is that there's no humans, there's no faith. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened, or there'd be no flesh left alive. Until transhumanism, robotics, AI, singularity the Borg, everything else that's been out there from Huxley, uh, Julian Huxley forward, obviously, all of the forward-thinking people, you know, the, the point being 
is we're there now. And how, and I guess this is a rhetorical question, how outside of doing what you and I are doing to provoke, to pray, to intercede, to write, to give away, you're like, you're like giving away an amazing work there. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you hear what he's saying. He's going to give you a Bible that costs him big bucks. And Tom doesn't deal in the word, world of little bucks. Big bucks. And when you go producing something like that, you're going to give it away, Doug. That's really a nice offer. I hope people take Tom up on it. Go ahead, Tom. I think we well, got about and, you know, and, and again, minutes. we haven't decided yet, but because of just what it costs us to even produce it, I'm spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to give this away. To give you I know, and I want people I, to know that. I'm, I'm doing it because I believe in what's leading up to our conference. I, I'm doing it, Steve, because I believe in the research you're doing. And by the way, I've seen the secret private covers for your books and some of the images that are inside the new aisle. Uh, oh, my gosh. Um, I think it's the biggest thing you've ever done before. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be done before we hit the conference this year. Um, oh, it will. I've got, you know, there's maybe 10 minutes left here, and I don't want to leave people hanging on this. One comment I made earlier before I went off on my big discussion about the origin, the history of the Bible, and I still, by the way, believe that at some point you and I should do a program on that. But I was talking about Craig Venter's breakthrough, how he actually, he was the guy, he originated um, genetic sequencing. DNA sequencing created in the mind of a computer. So he was the first guy who did this 2016. Stuff has advanced uh, very uh, quickly since then. And, uh, and where does that bring us today? Well, there's a, a much bigger question uh, now, and I'm going to be dealing with this at the conference, about how, how uh, human-robot couples could produce human-robot offspring using robot-generated DNA sequencing implanted into a human mother or other human biological matter, such as sperm and eggs from skin cells that we talked about earlier. And I know it sounds, well, first of all, it, it kind of sounds complicated, but amazingly, it really isn't. Uh, and it also sounds too sci-fi to be true, and it totally isn't. There's a new technology, Google this and read about it, called tissue uh, nanotransfection, or TNT. TNT, right? We're going to all blow ourselves up. TNT for short. Uh, and, uh, and you can read about TNT technology, how researchers at Ohio State College of Engineering and the Ohio State University uh, Wexner uh, Medical Center, they developed this technology. Um, and really it was developed just as a way to repair or restore injured or aging tissue, including blood vessels, nerve cells, and even entire organs, like in soldiers who were damaged and whatever. But it's, it, it started out that way. It's a nanochip technology uh, for repairing injured, aged body tissues. But now it's the primary vehicle that's going to make the transference of robotic DNA information in the human tissue possible. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when we reach strong artificial intelligence, artificial entities that have become conscious will be able to write genetic sequencing. They'll be able to create the DNA of a robot, if you will, for their desired offspring. That will then be injected, delivered by TNT, uh, that will hold both human and robotic genetically designed codes. The offspring resulting uh, will, from a successful full gestational term, would quite literally be half human, half robot DNA. Now, 
Again, another one to read. So you know I'm not making this stuff up. Dr. Uh, Chandon uh, Sen, S-E-N, he's the director of Ohio State Center for Regenerative Medicine and Cell-Based uh, uh, Therapies. He's one of the most intelligent biologists in the world. He was interviewed just a couple of months ago. He explained it this way. I'm going to read his quote real quick because I know I'm running out of time. Here's what he says, Steve. Suddenly the very real possibility has appeared on the horizon of the robots of the future manipulating human skin cells to create human sperm and human eggs, and from them, using the Ohio discovery of TNT as the basis, creating an entire human robot baby whose embryo can be nurtured and carried through pregnancy by a mother surrogate. By injecting genetic code into skin cells, a la TNT, the Ohio researchers have paved the way for the genetic code of a robot containing some of the characteristics that the robot desires to be passed on to its offspring along with human genetic code. This is how I believe uh, it will be, I'm still quoting, this is how I believe it will be possible within the very foreseeable future for humans and robots to make babies together, end quote. Um, So it doesn't mean the resulting baby is going to be born with wire and steel joints. It does mean that in the very near future, we're talking about right now, essentially, a man would be able to provide his DNA to a laboratory, purchase a robot, one of these sex robots, pay an expert programmer to give her the looks and personality that that he wants, have her looks and personality translated into genetic coding for implantation, design her baby stuff right, into biological matter, let the laboratory or a surrogate mother grow the couple's baby, then he can take his child and his AI partner home and become this adorable little family of one human, one robot, and one what? W-H-A-T question mark. This is the question. This is the question that Tom Horn, Steve Quayle, are being uh, lampooned by the University of London and peer-reviewed science and religious journals on right now because we dare to ask one what. What is this? It's a soulless what? Child of the gods, according to antiquity, uh, guided by what? A synthetic spirit, a living entity possessed by a ghost in the machine? I mean, this is Revelation chapter 13, that describing the first fruits of all that is going to be born after the arrival of Antichrist, not in God's image, but in Antichrist's image. Let me see, i got a couple more minutes. Another thing you said a moment ago, Steve, that fired me up, and I'm writing down little notes as you're talking, and it's a very important point, and that is biblical language as regards image-bearing for both God and the anti-God are actually the same language. God made man in his image, Hebrew, Selem. He breathed the breath of life into him, and man became God's image bearer and a living soul. But Antichrist is also going to have an image. It's the Greek akon, and into it, life is going to be breathed, according to the book of Revelation. The Hebrew and the Greek words translated image in regard to both of these references, in, in, in generic terms, it just means a likeness, a statue, representation, resemblance. But Antichrist's image bearer is biblically described as being more than a sculpture, as simulacrum, in the same way that mankind is also described as being more than a statue or a simulacrum of God. And Revelation 13 confirms that life, L-I-F-E, pneuma, the 
ancient Greek word for breath, spirit, soul, is going to enter the image bearer of the beast. But the animating power source, what is this? What is, is this the technological singularity, this animating power source that gives life to the beast's imager is actually foreign in the language to the breath that God blew into Adam. This is anti-breath. This is anti-human offspring of Antichrist. And it really does harken back to the science employed by watchers when Nephilim became fit extensions for non-human, unclean spirits housed in these unredeemable giant clans. It signifies, ladies and gentlemen, our nearness to the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 37, uh, as it was in the days of Noah. It signifies the image of the beast is very, very, very close. It signifies the importance of why Steve Quayle and Gen 6 in association with, uh, actually we are in association, Skywatch TV is in association with them, it's their conference, um, why we are supporting what they are doing, because the timeliness of this uh, is, is um, dangerous now. Uh, and Tom, speaking of, of Skywatch, we, we got an email from a lady named Nancy and she says that the code for the Tom Horn books does not work. So uh, the code, you... uh, there is no code. If you go, um, if you just go to um, SkyWatchTV.com. If she's wanting the free Bible, go to SkyWatchTV.com. Click on the big ad right there on the top of the website. It'll take you into the SkyWatchTVStore.com. Uh, and all you got to do on checkout, there's a comments section on checkout. Just type in, I heard you on Hagman. Uh, you're going to get the, the free Bible and those other books that are free that are advertised in the ad anyway. But in addition to that, Hagman listeners only, that type in, I heard you on Hagman, you're also going to receive the two-time Telly Award-winning documentary film, Inhuman, uh, that features people like Hugo DeGarris and other people that are going to be at the conference this year. And you'll learn why. You'll learn why. You've got... The highest level universities in the world now saying Tom Horn and Steve Quayle are a force to be reckoned with. And they don't mean that, by the way, in a positive way. It, they mean they're very concerned that they can't push their agenda forward unless people deal with the questions that we are raising. Uh, I don't care. If, and by the way, I agree with Steve Quayle, what Steve said earlier. It's the highest praise ever. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad that they recognize uh, this. I just wish that the evangelical and Protestant churches would. We've got some churches out there that buy Steve's book. They use them as curriculum in their Sunday schools, and I'm thankful for that. They've used some of the stuff I've written in the same way. But ladies and gentlemen, we desperately, desperately, desperately right now need an awakening. If you're an evangelical, if you're a Protestant, if there's anything you can do to wake up your neighbors, help them. Pay for their registration to come to this conference. Last year at the at the, the uh, Steve Quayle conference in Branson, uh, I had said that was going to be the last conference I was ever going to speak at. And I met it, too, by the way. I was fully committed to I'm not speaking at any more conferences. But following that conference and so many young people coming up talking about how our ministry had 
basically brought them back to Jesus Christ. So many parents coming up saying, you can't believe what your ministry means to my 16-year-old teenage daughter or my 18-year-old teenage daughter. That meant so much to me to realize that, okay, we haven't sown in vain. We are finally starting to reach a new generation. Uh, and uh, uh, little by little, people are waking up to this reality is what made me want to come back. So if you're listening to this broadcast tonight, I know that I'm, I'm meandering here. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Get them to this conference. I'm not being paid one penny to pitch this conference. Uh, the only thing I got in this conference is I got to go to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, please, yeah. yeah, please, ladies and gentlemen, register because, again, I'm sorry. One guy got mad, Tom, and threatened to show up and disrupt it because we didn't have a bigger auditorium in a venue. Well, we don't have that access, and the, and the mansion is so good because of all the lighting, the sound, and it goes on and on. So please, ladies and gentlemen, again, you know, if, if you're going to come, please register and then get your hotel because this thing is already, I mean, it's all over the country. The people that are even buying the uh, DVDs from the first uh, uh, conference are just, ex you know, just ecstatic. So go to gen6.com forward slash conference and buy your ticket. Yeah, and, Thank and you that's both. the other thing, Steve. Uh, people should, if they have any questions, talk to the people who were there last year. We didn't have anything but the highest praise, best conference we ever went to, people were saying, uh, and we've heard that all year long. And a lot of the people that were there are coming back to this one, too, because they loved it so much. Well, God bless you both. Thank you. By the way, Brent, I cannot say <laughs> enough good about what happened at Branson last uh, September. Uh, so thank you both very, very much. May God bless and keep you both. And until next time, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Hey. Thank you, All Joe. Right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you, Tom. That'll do it for us. We'll be back tomorrow evening on Friday. Have a great night.